I, I, I get Buffy vibes off of her. Yeah, I mean, she Joss Whedon probably loves Afra, dude. He probably reads Afra. That, I mean, that is right up his alley, that, that character. Well, I, I guess we know who should make an Afra movie. Or, dude, or, what if you hire Joss Whedon to do a 12-episode, one-time-only Afra mini, uh, series on um, oh the new my Disney God. Channel? Oh, my it's God. Easy, easy. Please, please, it's please, so, please. He, he could do that in his sleep. Hello, Bizzlecast listeners. I am the Bizzle. And I'm Jedi Geeko from I Rebel. Welcome to the Star Wars Lorecast. Presented by the Bizzlecast. And may the Force be with us. No. Oh, do not. There is no try. Happy beach here, buddy. Come on. Copy that. We're almost there. You must have a thousand questions. Where's Ray? Go away! Sue, what are you doing here? When I found him, I saw what all masters live to see. Raw, untamed power. The potential of your bloodline. We need your help. We need the Jedi Order back. We need Luke Skywalker. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to Lorecast Episode 5 with Jedi Geek Girl. Today we are talking about comics, comics, and more comics, a topic I have really never talked about on the on my show, in any of my shows, with all the Marvel and Star Wars and occasional DC talk. I don't actually read a ton of comics, and but I also, even when I do, it's it's very sporadic. I haven't had someone to really talk about it with. Um, I, I have had Maddie G on to talk DC comics uh, in conjunction with TV and film properties and so forth, and certainly we will be making connections to uh, the films, television, and, and other properties from the comics with the comics through the comics and by the comics but we are mostly here just to talk about the star wars comics themselves which ones are good which ones are great which ones we're not sure about and why uh the, the little teaser the villain comics in particular seem to be kicking ass across the board um uh, but first of all let me bring in the uh, other half of the uh lore cast the the brains behind this operation and certainly the brains behind today's comic book operation jedi geek girl Hey, Bizzle. How are you? I am great. I am ready to rock. How are you doing? Well, I am doing wonderful. I am a little tired, a little aching. You know, I'm getting older, but I'm really excited to dive into our topic for this episode, the Dark Side Villain Comics and My Girl. I cannot wait till we talk about My Girl. Well, you have a lot of girls, to be fair, but this is really your girl. We're going to get to that. Um, That's true. That's true. So, Jenna Geek Girl, three quick orders of business um, to get to. Um, uh, before we jump in, guys, you know, we're trying to do the weekly lore cast, and we come up with the topics at least a week or two in advance. Now, like with last week, we bumped up Revenge of the Sith commentary so we could at least talk, uh, start talking about the Clone Wars, even though we knew it would be a few weeks uh, before uh, we would get to the Clone Wars. So that's point number one, Jedi Geek Girl is. And guys, we're going to do a short preview of this at the end of this podcast just to get you excited for it, hopefully. But we are doing a Clone Wars, Clone Wars, Clone Wars, everything Clone Wars podcast at least next week and possibly 
possibly, you know, two out of the next four or three out of the next five, right, JG Girl? Oh, yeah, definitely. And with the announcement of the Clone Wars returning, I figured that we should talk about it because there's a lot to talk and dive into. And Mm -hmm. wow, oh my God, what a time to be a Star Wars fan. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, The second piece of business, guys, is just because the Lorecast is still new, even though hosted by the Bizzlecast, which has been around for a while. Um, You know, I've been uh, aware that I've done a pretty horrific job about promoting myself uh, on my own podcast. I definitely go out of my way to promote other people in my podcast, but I don't promote my own stuff. Um, usually just leave it for the copy. At this point, you guys can find me. Um, but I just wanted to say really quickly, uh, I think the best place to follow us right now as we try and add people to the community is at SWLarkast on Twitter. Um, but uh, to entice you guys to come to Facebook.com slash SWLarkast, um, I posted, I took a bunch of screenshots, not full page shots. I don't want to get copyright strict strike by Disney, although they don't actually care about this stuff. But I took a lot of like single frame or double frame hilarious shots of afro vader solo leia and so forth and posted them in an album on our facebook lore page um so you should go there to check that out um and uh we'll do some more uh, self-promoting at at the end um but so far we've had a great response so thank you guys point number three uh, jaggy girl and then we will get into the podcast you know what i found out recently this you is just crazy. saved a bunch of money on your conscience by switching to Geico. <laughs> well done. Well done. Uh, <laughs> no, it's actually even more shocking than that, um, which is apparently there's a ninth Skywalker movie coming out December 2019, and they just announced the cast. How crazy is that? It, it, it's really funny because we were so excited for the Clone Wars. I mean, if you listen to my podcast or the episodes, you hear me talking about it. Even right now, I'm so excited about Clone Wars. And then just like that meme, you know, we're so enticed with Clone Wars. And here comes episode nine, you know, getting our attention and all over again. We're excited. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Leia's back. Okay. So, Jay Girl, so guys, we're going to do a very short, like, two to three minute bit on episode nine casting, because we have to, because this is the lore cast, and the Bizzle cast, and Ira Bell, and we love these people. So, Jedi Geek Girl is going to run down a, a few of the surprises and cool confirmations of the cast, and then we're going to jump into the dark side of the Force and the galaxy and comics, in particular, for the remainder and bulk of this podcast. So, Jedi Geek Girl, start with My Princess will always be my favorite Star Wars character. Um, before I throw it to you, and I want you to talk about uh, the, uh, wh- how exactly Carrie Fisher is being used in this movie as a Leia, I will say I would have been fine with them killing her off screen because I thought the only alternatives were CGI or recast, and I would have like murdered, not actually, but like wanted to murder Disney for doing those two things. But it turns out there's something else. So introduce um, the surprise announcement regarding Carrie Fisher that I think most people are excited about. The biggest announcement with the announcement of the cast of Episode 9 was the fact that Carrie Fisher was going to be in Episode 9. And what they are going to do is they are going to take unseen footage that was shot for Episode 7 and use it for Episode 9. So that is very exciting because... Episode 9 was originally supposed to be Leia's movie, and while she might not be as poignant of a role, she will still have a presence. I didn't want them to kill the character off because I and make sense. I, I think it would have been unfair. So this was 
news that came out of the announcement that everybody's excited for because, like the announcement said, that, you know, Jabin said that, that they couldn't figure out a satisfying way to conclude the story without Leia. And my, my, I, well done, Lucasfilm. Well done. But do you agree with me that killing her off screen, if written well, was preferable to what we thought were the only other options, which was CGI or recasting? Or would you have preferred one of those? I, okay, so two parts. One, I agree with you 100%, but part two, I, I'm selfish as a fan, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get Leia's story because I knew what they were building up to. So I agree with you logically, but with my heart, I wanted Leia's story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I actually would have been way more better with CGI than recasting. Um, because you know me, I don't, the, even though I can tell the CGI in Rogue One, it doesn't bother me one bit. Um, I'm just, it's not, I'm not the kind of person to get bothered by it when it's done well, uh, in the right spirit. I also agreed with what someone tweeted online and I've sort of been thinking in my head, which was, I think Carrie Fisher, like from, if she's looking down from heaven would actually think them, you know, working and spending millions of dollars to recreate her in CGI. I think she would find that funny and flattering. Um, I don't think she would have a problem. Again, I don't know Carrie Fisher, but I read all her books and listened to her lectures and memoirs and so forth. I think she would think that was funny and not be offended by it. And obviously she died legendarily three or four days after Rogue One was released with CGI on Carrie Fisher. But that being said, my man, J.J. Abrams, Jedi Geek Girl, one of my first predictions in addition to uh, the Black Panther movie three and a half years ago, one of my first predictions in addition to Black Panther being amazing was that J.J. Abrams was going to at least do a really, really good, fun, and cool uh, first uh, Star Wars movie. I think he ex- far exceeded that with The Force Awakens, and I think he's going to exceed that even multiple levels more with Episode Nine. This was his idea. Uh, I mean, it's been confirmed from the Fisher family. This was his call. He had a, He wanted to film as much with Carrie Fisher as possible with Force Awakens. Jedi Geek Girl, um, really quickly, and then we'll run down a couple cast members and then uh, get to uh, the, the main show here. Um, do you think this just proves what we always thought, which was that there was supposed to be more Carrie Fisher in Episode 7 and they just cut for time and so forth? I think it is definitely a possibility that Leia was supposed to originally have... No, she was originally supposed to have more of a role because yeah. her first introduction in Episode 7 wasn't supposed to be what it ended up being. There was supposed to be more of her. Mm. So I am really optimistic. I'm really excited. But before we move on, I yes. do want to do a prediction because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm famous for predictions. Well, it is the Bizzlecast after all. Talk- Yes, um, and predictions like my trademark or trademark copyright, whatever. Um, Bizzle mark, yeah, we'll, we'll go with it. But anyway, Jin <laughs> mark. One of, yeah, but um, one of the things I said is is I predict that episode nine will be the pop most popular uh, of the three, the most created um by the fans. Mm-hmm. I I think the fans will absolutely love episode nine more than seven, and obviously more than eight. I think the main reason. I don't think JJ's. I think JJ will do a better job on nine for so many reasons. He had way more time. He's been involved in the process. He gets to work from the great stuff Ryan brought in and the aesthetics brought in by Ron Howard and and um, the Rogue One team with Gareth Edwards and so forth. He gets to see everything that's been done. It's there's no way we're going to get a straight repeat of Return of the Jedi because we already got the straight repeat of. Uh, I'm putting this in 
quotes with a smiley face next to it. A straight repeat of New Hope and, and Force Awakens. Obviously, there's a lot of tons of direct mirroring um, that, it, that was so self-conscious. Uh, you know, you either bought into it or you didn't. And then I would argue uh, the mirroring of Empire and Return of the Jedi happened some combination of Rogue One and... Um, uh, uh, um, Last Jedi. I think Last Jedi brought in Revenge of the Sith, uh, Return of the Jedi, and Empire Strikes Back. Meaning, now that they've confirmed, it's, it's basically confirmed it's going to be five months later, they're going to be in the Outer Rim, the situation's going to be changed. This isn't a sort of the two-parter um, that we got seemingly with uh, Episode 5 and Episode 6, right, Jay? Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, hold on, hold on. Where, where did you find out that it was five months later? Five years later. Five years later, where did you, where's your source? Well, I, I don't want to tell you because then I would give you the full spoilers that I'm not supposed to tell you, but it's a, it's a, it's a source that got a lot of stuff right with Return of the Jedi. But anyways, if, let's just stick to our predictions that that is indeed going to be the case. But tone-wise, it felt like episode seven and actually episode eight were, were sort of a two-parter uh, with Ray, you know, starting and ending and starting with Ray with the lightsaber. You know what I mean? I, I, my point here is I think this movie will be better because JJ won't be constrained by having to reboot the entire fucking franchise, you know, and he's going to have a lot more creative freedom. I think he learned some stuff working with and watching Ryan and watching what worked and hasn't worked in the Star Wars universe. I think this is going to be amazing. And the fact that they came right out, A, with Carrie Fisher announcement and B, I'm going to keep us moving here because I want to get the comics that the, they just announced straight up Mark Hamill and Billy D. Williams. They're not trying to hide it or pull like a crazy stunt on us. I'm always praising Star Wars for, you know, saving, a, a, you know, just a small but effective bit of secrets from us. Uh, Jake, are you happy that they confirmed Mark Hamill um, in particular, but also Billy D. sort of right up front rather than keeping it as a surprise that maybe we would know about anyways? I think that they had to with the Lando announcement. I think everybody knew it. if they didn't announce him, it would have been in like the best worst case, worst kept secret. Uh, I'm glad. I think they almost had to announce Mark Hamill just to, you know, he's a star. He's an icon. I would have rather him be surprised because with Force Ghosts, you can shoot them on like a blue screen and basically yeah. you don't have to tell a lot of people. That's why I wouldn't be surprised if we get like Anakin or Obi-Wan because they can do that on a blue screen. But the fact that they do announce announced Mark Hamill when he has been he showed a picture on Twitter of him already shaving uh it they almost had to do that I think that was a PR move but it's just there's just so many so many things to get excited about and like I said I think it's going to be the most popular sequel to the film it was a PR move, but I think it's multi-layered. A, Mark Hamill is having more and more trouble keeping secrets as the years goes on. And <laughs> to ask him to, for a year and a half to keep the secret about both himself and Carrie Fisher, there was no way that was happening. I mean, that was his first tweet. His first tweet wasn't about himself or even the main cast. It was about Carrie Fisher. And then he tweeted about Billy D and the rest of the cast. His first tweet was about his, you know, his, uh, his space twin, as they say. Um... And, uh, you know, and so there's no way Mark Hamill is going to keep that secret. Second, if you didn't like The Last Jedi, but you're still with the saga at this point, and, but you love Luke Skywalker at the, by the end of, of it, and you want to see, like, wise Luke that we've been hoping to see, definitely going to get that, that you know, I mean... Uh, Ryan wrote Yoda amazingly. I think JJ is going to write Mark, uh, uh, Luke, somewhat like Yoda, not a little bit less manic, but it will be a lovable older Force Ghost Luke. But I don't think it's going to be like a straight Obi Wan Kenobi from Episode Five type thing. I think they're going to be playful with.
with it. And then Billy D. Williams. Um, I, so this will be a final question because the rest of the cast is the cast you guys know and love, and they're going to be better than ever before, hopefully. But Jay Geeker, I'll have to ask. I know you love Lando in all incarnations and might come up in the comics, and I know you loved Billy D. and you love G- Donald Glover. Do you have sort of mixed feelings that like like uh, just a few months after Han Solo was sort of lost in the shuffle, like? Uh, Billy D is, let's be honest, Lando to most of America still. I am really excited. Actually, I am so glad that he is returning to the franchise because I kind of felt like he got the shaft in the last couple of films. And it is good that he will be able to reprise the role and such a legacy character will be a part of the story because he's a character that I love, that most people love, that it felt like he was missing. And I'm glad that we will have him in episode nine. Mm-hmm. So, guys, um, th- consider that a teaser. Um, and l- while we will be doing Heavy Clone Wars next week, um, I would, Jedi Geek Girl, because I have some thoughts about the new casting announcements and just some other episode nine stuff. Maybe we could do that as like a final act next week because I want to get moving here on the comics. Um, but anything else you want to say about it? I think what this proves is people are fucking pumped for episode nine. I mean, immediately everyone just had giant Twitter smiles everywhere about it. It's just something to keep in mind that all these negative opinions and messages that you are seeing online, it's just that. It's just the minority. If people did not love Star Wars, they wouldn't be excited. So while it might seem like the quote-unquote majority, which is not, don't doesn't like The Last Jedi, everybody's excited. I mean, celebrations sold out. People are going to be in Episode Nine. I would expect Episode Nine to do better at the box office than 8. So, yeah, people are pumped, and we are looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, here we go. Um, uh, I think I will have put Jedi Geek Girl a little intro in the beginning or in the copy if people want to, to, to jump right to the comic section. So you are with us now in the comic section one way or the other, guys. Um, I don't, it's hard to know where to start here because like all I've been doing in my free time the last few weeks is reading digital Star Wars comics. Um, I I will will reveal in a minute exactly how many pages I've read. Um, but I want to give Jedi Geek Girl the chance to really intro this topic. It's something she's really passionate about. It's something she knows a ton, a lot about. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm, but Jedi Geek Girl, before I throw it to you for the official intro, I, I will say you have effectively pushed afra into my girls category in star wars it's happened she is with Jin and ray and leia and ahsoka and sabine and hera she is right there the only reason she's not quite at the table is just because i need more but she is i mean almost immediately she jumped there Cheese guys, Dr. Afra um, is going to be one of the main two characters with Darth Vader we're going to talk about today. I know this makes Jedi Geek Girl happy just to talk about it, but uh, yeah, I'm not just playing to the crowd here, Jedi Geek Girl. She's amazing, but I want you to introduce the wider topic here. She is wonderful and fantastic, but before we dive into that and do the introduction, I want to say I am so proud of you. I'm so happy because... One of my passion when it comes to Star Wars is I call it the extended canon, the books and comics, because that is my passion. I love reading. I love those stories. I love the unique takes and stuff like that. But I wanted to focus on a certain part of those stories as a Lord Cast episode, specifically the villain co- comics, con- canon comics, because 
right now, some of the best stories that we are getting in canon are in those series. They are doing well on sales, they're doing well on characters. Hello, Afra. It seems like right now, you can make the case in some aspects in canon that some of the best stories are being told right there. So, so really quick, guys. So, in the last few weeks... Now, uh, Jay Geek Girl, some of these I had read before. Like, I'd read Poe one. Like, so, so, I don't know the exact count, guys, but I know that I read in the range of 2,500 to 3,000 pages of comics in the last few weeks. Now, before you go, you're absolutely crazy and or brilliant, I will say, when you read comic books, especially on an iPad where you're swiping and you're trying to consume a lot, it's really the equivalent of, like, a 300-page book, which is like an average sci-fi novel. Um, but the, the bigger thing is just sort of the brain power that goes into digesting what I consider, and Jake Eager will get into this, a very, 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 at least above average are across the board in Star Wars compared to X-Men, Avengers, and stuff I've read in the last few years. At least it's more interesting and textured and it looks like the Star Wars universe. We'll get back to that. But I did work my ass off to do this. And if you think about the average uh, you know, graphic novels, like 130 to 100, 150 pages or trade paperback, you know, collected issues one to six, etc. So that's like 30, 30 trade paperbacks worth of material, essentially. Um, so you're welcome, America. You're welcome, Lorecast. I was thrilled to do it. It was a long time coming. I actually had a lot of this Jedi Geek Girl on my iPad already because I've been meaning to do it. So this was just the push I need. So I, I, um, I know you were thankful I did this, but I also want to thank you for pushing me. Um, and now all I want to do is read comics. <laughs> It is it is absolutely amazing, and like I said, I am I'm so happy when you were telling me everything that you were reading and you were posting updates and pictures. I, I just had the biggest smile on my face because, like I said, that is a big passion of mine when it comes to Star Wars stories mm-hmm. and you experiencing all of them, even though some of them didn't connect to you, mm-hmm. Paul. Um, I did appreciate that you did went on that ride not only for research for the podcast, but because you actually enjoyed it and you now have Afra in the conversation maybe she's not at the table but at least she's in your room let me rephrase that at least she's in the same uh, arena I'd love to have Afra in my room but she definitely wouldn't (laughs) hook up with me I mean if she doesn't hook up with Luke Skywalker she's definitely not hooking up with me there's a little tease guys for later about Afra's (laughs) character yeah (laughs) oh yeah 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 and 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 then she sees but then she's gonna see my Jyn Erso poster on one wall and my Ray poster on the other and she realized I'm a I'm a rebel and a hopeless romantic and be like this guy's a loser (laughs) and I do want to give a little spoiler here but I'm trying to arrange something with somebody to cosplay as Tolvin oh nice I love oh my god I can't wait I can't so I I'm still trying to figure out the logistics of it but I I, want to do that okay so here's, here's here's what we should do. Jake Girl, we need to give a little background about the comics because there's like three or four phases since the original movies of comics, essentially. Um, and uh, a lot of, most of the great new comics in the canon have really started in 2015-ish. Um, but, uh, so let me ask you, um, I know you've gone back in, in recent years to actually read the quote-unquote legends or what used to be the, the expanded universe. Um have you read or were you familiar with Star Wars comics at all before the new era, A? And B, have you gone back at all and checked out any of the older comics, or are you 100% canon? So, number one, 
when the Legends universe was at the time the Expanded Universe, I never was really attracted to the comics because I was kind of put off by the realistic, uh, if you can use that phrase, approach of Dark Horse art of yep. the Star Wars series. I, I, I was never interested. I wasn't I interested in the Legacy era or the Knights mm-hmm. of the Old Republic. I was very picky when it came to Star Wars when I was younger. I kind of regret mm-hmm. that now, but I, I could never really got into it. So instead, I read a lot of the like Superman versus Xenomorph mm-hmm. or Batman versus... Those, those types of things. But I did read some comics, but... The, the way that Dark Horse uh, did that comic, it's kind of strange. And to answer the second part of your question, uh, yeah, I, I, I have gone back. And they still feel kind of strange. And mm-hmm. there, there's just something about Dark Horse. It's a comic because you can have a good comic mm-hmm. and have it feel this way. But there's something about it that feels off about the Dark Horse comics. I will mostly agree, but I do think the early 90s stories of, uh, like, the Tales of the Jedi stories from, like, way, even, like, earlier than the Old Republic stories, like, the very earliest days of the the Sith and the Jedi and and, and so forth, uh, is actually less realistic art. I know what you're describing. I also don't love that. Um, but these in particular look look have aged well as opposed to the knights of the old republic if, if, the omnibuses really hasn't aged well in terms of the art um the dark lords of the sith tales of the jedi stuff guys um and it's very important because that lore is still i mean jay Geek girl we forget i mean not we but like people forget they're canon or no canon guys like dave filoni and pablo hidalgo grew up reading all of these comics and books right i mean that's the reason Thrawn's back, which maybe we'll touch on later, you know, is, is like, yeah. it's not that it, people, it's not that Disney wanted to outlaw uh, all the old stories. It's just they had to create a new narrative and figure what was in and what was out, but they're still releasing and making tons of money on Legends. I've bought in two books uh, in the Legend series, uh, including the Obi-Wan Kenobi book uh, since the canon's been launched. Uh, thoughts, Jedi Geek Girl? Yeah, that, that's the thing. You got to remember that Lucasfilm, when it comes to canon, canon is just a way to organize the story. That doesn't mean a story is invalid or bad because it it has a legend banner on it. There's a lot of good stories in canon, and it's just a category. I mean, and if, just as an example, sorry, just as an example, if one of your favorite episodes of, of television is the two-part Twilight of the Apprentice with Ahsoka, Ezra, and Kanan versus the Inquisitors and Darth Maul, and eventually Vader, um, an Ahsoka fight, spoiler alert, um, I'll tease that Jedi Geek Girl and I, I think are going to do a commentary on that at one point. Um, but where does that take place? That takes place on Malachor. Malachor was a concept and a planet introduced decades ago in the quote-unquote legends or old canon or whatever you want to call it. They're working it in. And Jedi Geek Girl, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to spoil anything for you or the listeners at this point. Maybe I'll do a spoiler podcast. But a source that I trust says that Let's just say episode nine and some other of the properties are going to start the way we're getting a ton of new prequel stuff um, from the prequel era with Ahsoka and Maul and so forth. They are going to start working in more Old Republic stuff, at least thematically. Um, and that is all I will say for now. Um, and I think they are smart too, just the same way, you know, bringing back Maul was smart, bringing Thrawn from the Legends era was smart um, and so forth. So. Uh, so just to bridge here you said you've gone back you've read some of them so when what was the first 
like Star Wars comic you picked up and you read or or a b- b- bunch of comics and we're like okay I'm really into this I want to get going because I'd rather start the timeline there because there there are sort of eras every decade or so where they start and stop comic prints okay so going back to 2015 no 2016 mm-hmm. uh, but I, I mentioned before I was in a, a dark period in my life and I was looking for an outlet because when you're in a dark period in your life, you, you know, you're depressed and you, if you don't have anything to connect you to, you kind of, it can be like a downward spiral. Yep. And I'm like, well, I, I don't, I don't have any money, but you know, I love Star Wars, you know, there's a, there's a new canon time or timeline, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not a reader. So the first step into extended canon, to use my terminology, I took was actually the comics. I picked up Beta 1. Star Wars one, the the volume, um, the trade paperback, not the comic mm-hmm. issues, and, and another one. So actually, the first uh, canon comic I read, and I think maybe no, it wasn't the first Star Wars overall comic I read, but the first one I read was Vader Volume One. We're talking about the 2015-2016 Vader uh, run, yes. which we're going to talk a lot about. The yes. uh, I, haven't, I haven't actually read much of the 2017 Vader. I think the only thing I failed on was making any headway with the current Vader run. Um, um, so, Which is kind of funny because I would consider that series almost superior if it wasn't for one specific character. Okay. Well, it, but it doesn't have the early Afro stuff, though, right? which... That, that, that's a specific character I was talking about. Okay. Oh, I thought you meant there was a character in it that you didn't like, but you're saying there's a lack of a character. No, I, I'm yeah. saying that Afro does so much for the first volume of stuff. The first hold on, hold on. Of we'll get there. We're going to get there right now. And look, I would have never thought I'd get through four or five volumes of Darth Vader anything without a character like Afra. I mean, she she lights up the screen, and I think she's better in the Darth Vader comics than her own comics. We'll get to that. But um, Jetta Geekle, just to answer the lore question, because this is the lore cast. So we know the first sort of official... And when I'm saying new canon, I'm talking about new material in the canon, okay? Don't get mad at me. <laughs> I'm talking about new like new properties. It was Rebels, the book with the Rebels, right? And some comic books and so forth in 2014. But the comics, it seems to me, didn't really get going till 2015. The main the mainline Star Wars comics, I believe, started 2015. Darth Vader, 2015. It, it, was that your impression as well? Before we go any further, I do want to give a little bit of a timetable here. Yeah, that's, um, that's what I'm asking for, Dark Horse had the license of Star Wars since, I believe, 91 up until the end of 2014. The license went back to Marvel at the beginning of 2015, despite the canon already being established about mid-2014. So, the new era of comics began in 2015, mm-hmm. uh, which is the ones that we are talking about. You, of course, I'm sure know the George Lucas story about... Lucas approaching Marvel um, before the Star Wars movies came out and getting Marvel to agree to, I believe, a four-issue like prequel or preview series of the 1977 original Star Wars movie ahead of time, which no one had done, um, and was wildly successful in not just building up interest, but then, of course, after the movies, you can't even get copies of them. You know what I mean? And so Lucas actually, I believe, historically launched these Star Wars comics before the Star Wars movies. So Lucas, it was a diehard 
let's be honest with you, girl. We know he's a Marvel guy growing up as a kid. Like he said it. Like he, he he respects all the comics. The Dark Horse thing was a business decision, but he's always wanted to come back to Marvel. It it, it was, and it did. When it, when we talk about Lucas, I mean Lucas was a fantastic salesman because uh, uh became, first came in ninety six, I believe. Uh, not 96, 76, I think, before the actual film. Mm-hmm. I have a few months beforehand. So, yeah. So, yeah, the, the Star Wars comics did originate with Marvel, but the Dark Horse uh, is the most beloved and the most well-known uh, of the Star Wars comics. But Yeah, issue number one of Star Wars was released for sale by Marvel April 12th, 1977. Ended up to a ended up leading to a 107 issue run to 86 but the bigger uh feat again was having the foresight to actually release the comics ahead of time um as Uh opposed to waiting till afterwards and because of that jg girl unsurprisingly he got a great deal with marvel because they couldn't have predicted like everybody else how insanely insanely rich uh and successful the the movie would make um him and guys i'm gonna post the very first issue um online when i post this uh or after i post this so he's always wanted to go back to marvel so eventually he came back to marvel and i think it's clearly better um aesthetically again it's hard to compare um time periods because anything before the early 2000s Jedi Geek Girl in all comics you can tell is before the early 2000s I think it's fair to say what's from the 90s what's from the 80s and so forth yeah each decade seems like it has its own art style and the Marvel comics if they seem a lot cleaner than the Dark Horses like a lot more crisp um at least in my experience so far in reading mm-hmm. so okay so came back to Marvel which, you know, makes total sense because it's Disney. <laughs> it had to be with Marvel. And we knew Marvel could handle putting it out. They knew that they could handle absorbing losses on some that were less successful than others. But Jedi Geek Girl, in my research for this and all the graphic novels, and I want to thank Comixology, who has some deal with Marvel. It's not like having Marvel Unlimited. By the way, guys, if you read comics, I recommend you <clears throat> get either Marvel Unlimited or Comixology Unlimited, depending on your taste. But Jedi Geek Girl, they have a lot of anything before a year ago free from Marvel on Comixology Unlimited as well. Um, that's how I wouldn't have been able to afford all this stuff i mean not even a fraction um and so uh thanks to them but i have to say they haven't gotten a lot of series wrong and i do want to jump into vader slash afra um because vader as your entry point and then afra as the thing the, the you know the, the person character you fell in love with um and i can totally see why having read literally every comic book she's been in i think at this point or most of them um but but uh <clears throat> but jenny geek girl is is your overall impression when we'll get into specifics that marvel's been handling this well i think they have been handling it pretty well this has been a couple missteps but nothing really dramatically like oh my God, why did they do this? It's like even the quote-unquote mediocre series was was fairly decent. I think I can only think of maybe one or two miniseries that were pretty poor, but it seems like the stories that they have been telling mm-hmm. uh, have, have been pretty decent for the most part yeah i mean lando i expected to be so so was great chewy i expected yep. to be so so was really cute and fun um Actually, the Chewie one was very cathartic because we all know Chewie doesn't get enough respect. And 
it was great to just see him beat the shit out of bad guys at it for moral reasons um and by the way uh, i loved jaggy girl uh i know we're, we're we're sort of zigzagging here but i do love in the very first new mainline star wars comic what do they call that i mean it's just called star wars number one two three four five but is there like a unofficial name for sort of the main star wars comic the so- uh, yeah, just start right. But to explain to the listeners that the one that they call Star Wars guys has to do mostly with the original cast post A New Hope, uh, as well as some other things. So that's what they call just Star Wars. But it's Chewbacca. I, I cut out the frame. I don't know if I send this one to you. The very first time in that comic book that Leia orders Chewbacca to do something and Han orders him to do something else. Chewbacca listens to Leia without even thinking about it. And this is right after A New Hope, which I love. It makes total sense to me. He's immediately loyal to Leia. He's immediately loyal to Rey. And so, I, you know, he, he, he loves Han, but he knows he can't trust Han and Han makes bad decisions. So I love that about Chewie. But let's get to the main topic. So, Jedi Geek Girl, you pick up the Darth Vader 2015-2016. Did you start from the beginning? I did, yeah, because I was I was buying a trade back at that point in time, so obviously I was going to start at the beginning. So, so of the four or five uh, t- trade paperbacks or so from that series, like, uh, how far in was the series? I don't know the timing before you started reading. Like, how far did you have to go back? Were you pretty close to recent? I was pretty close to recent. Yeah, I think they had volume one and volume two at that point in time, so they would probably let me let me think here. Um, so that was early 2016. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So, so they were probably like a good tw- um, 15 issues in yeah. at that point in time. I can just really quickly, um, I can get you, if you need dates at any point, I, I, I have it in front of me. So I can get that for you. Keep going. Yeah. So I, I was lucky that I was able to hop on the train at that point in time because mm-hmm. the, the canon was, was still young and still fresh. And while, while I did read all the stories through the trade backs. I, I eventually went to issue to issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, correct me if I'm wrong, the main releases in terms of the, the popular lines in 2015 was the aforementioned mainline Star Wars with the original cast um, characters and Vader, right? Th- those were the two big ones that they knew that they were going to do and they set them both for the most part at that time after episode four before episode five, correct? And and they did that on purpose with the Darth Vader lines and the Star Wars, uh, the mainline Star Wars line to set it in the same period at the beginning? Yes, uh, those two launched at the same time, but shortly after Leia actually launched too, I think it was uh, a month or two into uh, 2015. Um, so those were the three cornerstones. Obviously, mm-hmm. Star Wars and Darth Vader Volume One uh, were, were the first two, uh, but Leia came shortly after. So um, I'm just looking. So Darth Vader Volume One um, was released October 7th on my birthday, 2015. So it was released on my birthday, 2015. That would have been a great birthday present had I known about it. Damn it, Bizzle. Um, yeah. And and to be clear, that was the trade back. That wasn't the first comic issue. Oh, good call. Good call. Good call. Yeah, we, so it would have been a good birthday to, present. Yes, it, it, it would have been. Um, because it's nice reading those trade backs because you get a yeah. cohesive story. Uh-huh. All right. February 11th, 11th 2015 was Vader number one. Um, 
So they clearly, Jedi Geek Girl, I mean, let's be honest, between the original cast in episode seven, uh, between all the mirroring of episode four in episode seven with the original cast and the new characters, and then clearly putting their resources behind Darth Vader and his associates alongside running parallel to Luke Hanley at Chewie and so forth. I mean, is this is is this as obvious as it seems in, in terms of a decision by Disney to just, and then we'll dive into the specifics here, to just say, we're really bringing it back to the old trilogy with the new movies kind of thing? Well, I talk about it online to a lot of people because there has been a misconception that mm. Lucasfilm and Disney didn't want to focus on the prequel, prequel trilogy, but when Disney acquired the license, And working with Lucasfilm, one of the things that they had to do was reconnect with the original trilogy audience because that has the most mass appeal and that is what Star Wars is known for. Mm -hmm. So obviously they had to focus everything around the original trilogy because Mm -hmm. that was everything that people know. And of course that was going to be the first era that they dived in with their new comic series because Mm -hmm. that was their marketing plan. Uh, Can I address that really quickly? Go for it. Um, I, I think the, this notion that Disney like spent time actively trying to give the shaft, so to speak, to the prequels uh, is not only wrong, but misguided in terms of history. Um, the fact that, yes, they, quote unquote, canceled Clone Wars early, even though it's back now, but they, they, get, to, they get to handle how the ending happens. They kept Clone Wars in canon very openly. And Rebels was a direct descendant, even though Rebels is more Disney. And yes, it you know took place closer to the newer trilogies. Immediately started drawing from stuff in the Clone Wars in the older trilogies, uh, and the secondary materials. I mean, we're getting more prequel stuff now, obviously, but we were already getting stuff there. It was constantly being refer. I mean, there's so many references to planets, people, species, characters from the prequels, even in the 2015-2016 comics Jedi Geek Girls. Um, so my point is less about. I don't think Disney was saying don't focus on the prequels, focus on the original trilogy instead. I think it was just a positive thing of we want people who love the original trilogy and we lost along the way to get reinvigorated for Star Wars to the point where they can release so much prequel stuff now and people are excited about it. I think it was a strategic decision to slowly work it in through the comics, the books, and the TV shows, and now it's really paying off in, in all media. But I, I just, uh, just my personal opinion, I, I haven't really said on Mike is. And you can for sure disagree with this um is i I don't think disney was ever specifically sidelining the prequels i think they had a greater plan and they wouldn't have kept dave filoni and hidalgo and those guys and given them so much power if if they didn't want that it's just my perception of things go ahead okay so number one when i say that that's not my opinion no no i know i was yeah sorry to be clear i was i was addressing the opinion that you were talking about that is not necessarily yours Uh, yeah right i i think it i think it's ludicrous and i think the marketing strategy that they took with the first year to focusing on the original trilogy was actually smart and brilliant because they are building up a buffet and i mean if you look at stores right now we have original trilogy content we have prequel trilogy content we have sequel trilogy content we have it's going to only expand, and it doesn't seem like it's too much. They had to pace everything. They had to, like I said, they had to build the buffet. They had to build the, they had to make the million the the item that everybody loved and enjoyed. Like, hey, mm-hmm. we like pizza, so let's do pizza, mm-hmm. right? And then let's mm-hmm. add a pasta buffet. Let's yep. add some 
salad so they had to build the cornerstone before they could expand it and, and i'm so excited because it's like no matter what your jam is there's so much different star wars that if you can't find something to enjoy mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be mean or anything but i think you should check out another fandom because right. yeah this is my whole, you don't have to love Last Jedi or Solo, but if you can't enjoy it, at, or even the prequels, if you can't enjoy them at the movies, then what are you going for the movies for? It's not judgmental. Well, it's just, don't waste no, your time. Yeah. No, and, and and you still have the Legends, you have Nice to the Real Republic, yeah. uh, RPG games, okay. there's so much Star Wars right. that you can consume that Sorry. you don't have to feel like you I've been sidelining us, and I want to get you talking about the thing you're passionate about. So, jump into Vader, uh, getting reading Vader, um, what that experience was like. Um, and I guess we're talking about pre-Rogue One, post-Force Awakens, right? When you're reading it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 uh, um, so yeah, at that, at that point in time, I was reading the trade back, and I was patiently waiting for things, but at that point in time, the only Dark Side villain comics there was, was, was the Vader one. Um, so, we, we were getting a glimpse of how good those stories could be. The villain dark side canon comics mm -hmm. how much did you know about the comics so you had seen force awakens you obviously loved the prequels you'd seen the originals you we all got reinvigorated obviously to the fandom with the lead up to and and the release of force awakens we also knew i don't know if this happened before after you started reading vader but you know rumors started trickling out pretty early that he was going to have a small but significant role in rogue one and was obviously something that got a lot of people to the theaters um and so that'll be interesting to talk about and thank you for making me read annual number two by the way we'll get to that uh, though, though it doesn't really make sense of continuity but we'll but uh we'll get back to that so when you when you do do you remember how much you knew about vader when you started reading it or you're just like these are new comics i'm so amped about the new uh, the rebooting of the franchise i want to read dark side stuff i want to read anakin i want to read vader and that was just sort of boom i'm doing it well i wanted to consume as much content as i could as i wanted to the reason why i wanted to go with vader first is because there was just something about his story that was so attractive that I, I, I don't know, because I'm not a Vader fangirl, but I, I just wanted to dive into that story first because that was what appealed to me, which is kind of funny because the Vader Volume 1, Series 1, uh, is actually a continuation of a story that place, takes place in Star Wars Volume 1. So uh, I was reading it and then I went back and watched Star Wars and I'm like, oh, they, they are interconnected. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like Buffy and Angel. Guys, I can tell you out there, if you're moderately or not even to comics that much, Volume 1 Vader 2015, Volume 1 Star Wars 2015, you cannot go wrong with either of those uh, graphic novels. There's been a lot of good stuff all over the place since then, but those two are great starting points, even if you just want to read one. And you can get them very cheap online or on Amazon or so forth. I I think the best part about that first volume, and are you, are you okay talking spoilers, even though, you know, it's, okay, it's guys, been here like comes three years. comic book spoilers from here on out. Um, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you either read a lot of the comics, so the spoilers won't be a big deal, or you're just interested in us <laughs> talking lore through the comics, in which case you might not read them, or maybe you don't care and, and get it. But if you're in the middle of reading them, we'll we'll try and Jedi Girl, let's try and say like, okay, we're talking Afro now, major Afro spoilers, so whatever. But yeah, for the most part, guys, we can't really talk about these comics without spoilers. We'll try not to give away anything huge if we can, but yeah, at least like medium sized spoiler warning from here on out. Go ahead. The best part of the first Vader Volume 1 CH was not only the introduction of Aphra, 
But the fact that it revolved around Beta finding out that Luke is his son. And that moment still stands up in Star Wars, can, can, in Star Wars comics as such a monumental moment. Because we, we already know that he knows. But we didn't know how he knew. And we didn't know how he reacted. So even though we knew that. Like what you were talking about with the prequel. You know, telling a story we already know. I, I felt like it was well executed, and it was still a powerful moment. So, I have a direct question about this. So, for the sake of, guys, so we're basically going to start from the beginning here. So, Star Wars 1 to 6, Vader 1 to 6, we'll sort of, because like Jack Eagle said, it's sort of a crossover um, intentionally to get the universe going. Um, but uh, did, did, did we know that he knew already, and how did we know? Because... What I'm confused about is in Empire Strikes Back, it's not even clear that he knew. It just doesn't go, it doesn't contradict anything in Empire, but there's no smoke and gun in Empire that he knew it was his son because the Emperor's the one who says it and Vader says, Are you sure? So, but I, I think it, it, what the comic was saying was he knew and he was going to hide from an uh, Emperor that he knew. That's the idea? Yeah, uh, basically, basically, this is not a new concept in Star Wars. Even in the Legend Flying, it was already established that he knew. Luke, I mean, it explains why he's so obsessed about finding Luke. You well, know what I'm saying? Let's stick to canon, though. But when this, when this was revealed in the comic, with the reboot right. of comics, 2015, in canon... I'm still talking canon here. Mm-hmm. If you look at the text of The Empire Strikes Back, it is clear that Vader is obsessed with finding Luke. And there's a reason for that. It's because he knows that he's his son. Mm-hmm. Because no, yeah. think yeah. because think about it. If he wasn't Vader's son, why would he be that obsessive about taking him alive? Oh yeah, no, uh, no. Uh, let me let me rephrase my point. This comic totally expands. I always thought that that was the case growing up, even not reading anything other than the movies. It seemed obvious because you're like, why is he obsessed with Han, Leia, and Chewie in the Falcon? It's like, nope, that's just a trap to get Luke. You know, it's it's brilliant. The whole movie leads up to that. Um, so this is an example of the comic filling in a gap that we kind of suspected, but it does it in a respectful and not. And this is going to be a recurring theme, Jay Geek Girl, and I want to talk about the Padme flashbacks too with Vader in the early volumes. Um, which is they're really restrained with nostalgia or referencing things or filling in gaps in a way that, again, reminds me more of the Rogue One method of show, don't tell, and less of the sometimes over-the-top Han Solo, too much referential stuff, if that makes sense. Comics does a good job of that, I think. Before we go any further, I do want to establish the premise of the first Vader series. Yeah, go. And go. the premise, is, the premise is, is how do you get Vader from the Empire Strikes Back, from the Vader from A New Hope. How did he, quote-unquote, rise to the ranks? Because obviously you see a more confident, more established, more authoritative Vader in the Empire Strikes Back than you do A New Hope. So what was the story, and how did the Vader from Episode 4 become the Vader in Episode 5? So that was the hmm. premise of the first series, Vader series, and it shows you how he became that Vader. Okay, go go on. <laughs> well, that's basically the basic premise. Because no, I know the premise, but t- but can you talk a little bit about like this? Just the strands of that early story. Did you think it worked? Did some things work more than others? What what were the like to me? The standouts were Luke got way more complicated and interesting, and great great Han Leia writing. Um, in my opinion, that totally fits with 
the Han Leia vibe. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm talking about the Vader shit. I'm not talking no, about I, the Yeah, technology. I know, I know. Because uh, in my head, again, guys, I apologize. Thousands of pages, three weeks. You'll have to, I, I, I'm, sometimes you're like, you'll have to forgive me. I'm not, because there is some crossover early on what's in Star Wars and what's in Darth Vader um, in terms of the comics. Um, so I'm just talking about that time period with those two lines in general just did a great job. So you're reading Darth Vader, you're following the storyline, and all of a sudden comes a brand new character um, that really stretches at first the limits of what you'd believe a Star Wars character would talk like, um, but ultimately realize that this is the sort of character Star Wars has needed, which was a sort of... Because fi- let's be honest, I mean, Joss Whedon has acknowledged Firefly is, is a blatant just retelling of Star Wars through his Joss Whedon glasses, and Malcolm Reynolds is essentially, I, I mean, obviously Han Solo with uh, a little bit more of a heart, a little bit less of a heart, um, but, you know, the same kind of thing. And I think we needed a quippy, somewhat self-aware, uh, um, quirky, but very human, if flawed character who just talks a lot and thinks a lot, especially a young woman. And uh, I'm going to talk, bring in uh, Batgirl as a comparison in a second, but like when you start hitting Afro, like what did you think at that point? Do you remember? I remember really being glued to the character's development because they had to bring in a character that supported Vader, that had no offense to Vader, personality, somebody who you could really cling to and follow and have, you can tell stories with without it being all about Vader. And and to Afra, they had to bring Afra in. And I remember reading her, and like I said, I, I, I fell in love with her because she's a mixture between a Joss Whedon type character with Indiana Jones, with Harrison Ford, what's not Harrison Ford, Han Solo. Yeah, Indiana Jones, for sure, yeah. She has that, she has humor, she has charisma, she has brains, mm-hmm. she has so much potential. And, and, it fits, and it fits Vader so well because his relationship with Afra is, can be compared to his relationship with Ahsoka. So, all right. Just talk a little bit about what you see in about her person, about Afro's personality in general, um, you could describe it a little bit. Uh, and what, what, what's, what is so attractive about it? I love, yes, obviously the Ahsoka connections, uh, and even the Padme flashbacks, maybe will come up. Um, but just, uh, um, uh, just Afra herself, like what about, you know, her personality really interested you. And then we'll bridge to the Darth Vader connection. She doesn't really care about she she's very self-centered she focuses on her survival she's always looking for the next treasure and self-fulfillment she's like a embodiment of everything that you wish you could do without regret she doesn't really care about human life so she will sell a friend for a profit she I don't want to say she has a death wish, but very, very towards the beginning, she's like, "I, I, you're going to kill me. I, I, I'm, I serve you because I envy the power that you have. Um, and, and I know you're going to kill me, but you, you have so much power that I, I want to help you out because I want to be in your power. You know what I'm saying? When you first see this character, I mean, 
you think like obviously I knew that Afro was spun off from a, a relationship with Darth, a professional relationship with Darth Vader, but. If I was reading that first meeting blind, I was like, why are they introducing this gorgeous and extremely funny and charismatic character if Darth Vader is just going to murder her right now? Because you think uh, as soon as she opens her mouth, you know, and starts just like talking like Kaylee from Firefly, never shutting up, uh, you think Vader's just going to kill her because that's how he deals with it everywhere else. But he immediately takes a liking to her even after constantly threatening her and even like goes out of his way to try and save her. She's just a rogue archaeologist, guys, if you don't know Afra, who is sort of like Indiana Jones with fewer scruples, claims she's after the money. She's really just after the adventure, doesn't care about it, um, and, and, and does care about sort of the, the historical side of being an archaeologist, but she'll also e- easily work with uh, the, the bad guys and even in the beginning believes in the Empire and they have open conversations about why she believes in the Empire even though she's a rogue um which is sort of like uh, again you know there are a couple characters on the serenity in in firefly who st- do sympathize with the the imperials at least at first so that is also interesting so but do you know what i'm saying jay Eagle? i mean you think based on his behavior before and after vader would just lightsaber her why don't you think he does well vader needs a tool because at that point in time in uh in the story of Vader, Vader, I don't want to say he was broken, but he was kind of like going through the motion. And after the events of episode four, he needed to create his own team to investigate what the Emperor is doing. Um, basically taking his own power and authority and creating his own team. Like, Alpha's main purpose in the beginning of the Star Wars series is basically to do the handiwork of Vader. Like, we'll get into it later, but one of the things that she does do is she goes to Naboo to find out about his son. Is, is it true? Do, do I have a son? Can you confirm this? And she he needs somebody that is a scoundrel, that is tied to nobody, that can do things so free of him that if she was caught, it cannot be tied back to him. Jaggy girl, the thing is, if Afro was just his funny sidekick, and I have a lot more to say on this, <clears throat> and then spun off her own series, that would be great on its own, and is great. The fact that she moves in and out of the original trilogy cast so smoothly, I mean, look, I want a Luke Afra sub-series. I mean, the two of them and Screaming Citadel is amazing. Like, he calls her, her his friend sincerely after everything, uh, the potential p- portrayals and backstabs, and like... He could turn her. Luke at that point could, if they spend more time together, could truly turn her to the good side. Now, for story reasons, I'm glad they're not doing that because I want her to be a rogue as long as possible. You know what I mean? Like, but but yeah, go ahead. I want that story as well, but I want it post episode but, six. But do you agree that she, that is comfortable, as overly comfortable as she is with Vader? Her character is very comfortable, in my opinion, from like a narrative standpoint, with Leia, Han, and Luke in their love hate relationship with her, as everybody has love hate relationship with her. And I don't think it's a coincidence that both Skywalkers feel very comfortable around her and have a good feeling in their own way. Not a coincidence. No, um, no, no. I, I, I agree. I agree with you one hundred percent. So I guess. Yeah. What, I guess my big point to throw back to you is 
the writing for Afra is brilliant and great on its own, but the overall narrative purpose that she serves without having to be a Jedi or a person of power and connecting all the original trilogy characters, good guy and bad, uh, is absolutely brilliant. And I don't know where this plan, I need to research like the plan to come up with the Afra character, make her a lesbian, have her talk too much, borderline doesn't sound like a Star Wars character, but people would, would fall in love with. I mean, who came up with that idea? And then to connect her to Skywalkers and Solo and so forth i thought was brilliant it is definitely brilliant because it is just she is and i use this word a lot she is so delicious like you could sure on her because she has charisma she has a personality she has a sense of humor you're always hooked to find out what will happen to her next and part of her success is the crew that she surrounds herself with black content i think that wrong um triple zero bt it's just it's just so they took a while to grow on me but now that they're just straight murdering it's great it is so fresh and unique that i'm I'm a little surprised that you are okay with a story that's clearly all ages but is also very adult that just openly murders brutally people um that's not normally your thing but just because it's funny and well done well, the thing about it is it's, it's fiction, you know what I'm saying? So you can't take oh, No, I just mean within your Star Wars. Like, let me ask you this. Look, put put Afra aside for a second. Who are your top five Star Wars characters, not including Afra? Um, Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rey. Mm-hmm. I think it's Padme. Mm-hmm. Um, not counting Ahsoka. Um, generally, yeah. Probably up there too. Not Luke. Uh, he's top ten. So everyone you said is straight ahead, good guy. Uh, is it like after sort of the balance to, in your force? You know what I mean. Like you need some bad girl with all the good girls. Okay, so I love her. The same reason why I well, not the same reason. Different, they're different people. But why I like Palpatine is because they're, they're so deliciously evil that they're so. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, it's not a coincidence that you mostly like the good, young, good guy characters. Just, I I do too. I mean, you know, good guy, female badasses are my thing across all properties. I'm, I'm with you. I just think it's interesting, you know, that, and this will lead to our first main, uh, I think, uh, sort of debate point, not with each other, but with, you know, the audience, because we agree on it, is that... With all the good guy Jedi stuff, you need delicious bad guys like Palpatine, you know, like Krennic, like, well, it will argue how evil Afra is. Um, but Jake, Eagle, I, I think the, exactly what you described is why um, the villain series seem to be doing a little bit better and more consistent overall. It's more interesting to people. And the Thrawn books as well, people really dig. You know, a lot of the character study books uh, that are coming out are, are from the bad guy's perspective. I just think that's interesting. Well, the thing about villains and why they are so popular is because usually if there's a villain that you like, it has something that you are attracted to, whether it is their strength, whether it is their ability to do whatever they want without any repercussion. 
And why I'm drawn to Afra as such a delicious villain is because she's smart, she's humorous, she basically does whatever she wants. She has the the, the charisma, and I, I like that in a character. I don't like a character like Darth Vader. I do like Darth Vader, but you know, Darth Vader isn't my favorite villain because I'm not attracted to that strong, impressing, threatening, th violent presence. I'm I'm more attracted to your clipsy, clippy, um don't give a care, um, kind of like over the top type villain. That's why I like Palpatine. Uh, that's why I like Dr. Aphra. Um, because well, you we also like them brainy too. Like, and that's, I think you've come to like right. Krennic as well as he started that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You, you make a good connection there. Um, you know, because we, 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 are, we live in this real world and we're not able to be that. So when we get something that we are attracted to, that we cannot be to just do because of the moral restrictions of, our society, we are immediately drawn to that. Um, so that's why I like Afra because she's the bad girl that you know. I wish I could be, but I couldn't do because mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not going to do something that results in somebody's death and sell them out like that. So, I said earlier that Vader would have just killed her. Um, I guess what I should have said was yes, she's useful to him initially for sure, objectively useful, um, but. After the first or second mission, again, it's all a, a haze right now, Jay Geek Girl. But at some point early on in the, her doing missions for him, he could have killed her and justified it because she knew too much and was just sort of a hassle. But he, like, he gave her more chances when she fucks up than he would give anybody else, right? Remember we, we had that hypothetical about who would you rather stand in front of when you fuck up is Vader or, or Kylo Ren, right? Right, uh, yep. But but, um, but the fact that she's not scared of him, I think, is part of why he keeps her alive. I have a theory oh. that the bad guys, bad guys in general, but bad guys in Star Wars, they tend to kill people not just through doing a bad job, a bad job, but who show fear. And Vader kills all the scared people under him. But then, like Admiral Pia and other people who are you know more confident in front of him, he gives them extra chances because he thinks they're competent. And I, he senses that in Afra. To me, is interesting. Go ahead. Okay, what I was going to say is I actually had to th I actually have a theory of why he was attracted to uh, Afra, uh, besides the fact that she was useful. If you look at the character of Afra, it reminds me a lot of Ahsoka. Uh, the the clipsy the clipsiness, the, the she's smart, she she's useful, she's talented, she has skills. So I personally think that the one of the reasons why he kept her around as long as he did was because he uh, he was reminded of Ahsoka. Hmm. Um, Actually, if, if you if you go back and look at the early, mm -hmm. you you can see that clippiness. You can see that it's, yep. she was effective. Yep. She knew what she was doing, and so I do, I don't think it was a coincidence that mm -hmm. he was attracted to her, not in a romantic way, but yeah. So okay, so who who were the women in Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker's previous life, um, before you know before he meets Afra? You have Luke and Leia, you have Padme, you have Obi Wan, um, and then you have Ahsoka, right? And so I think that what's interesting is either directly or just thematically, Afra is tied to almost all of them, other than Obi Wan, maybe. But you know her relationship with Luke. Uh, her, you know, back and forth with Leia and Han and him, you know, them, 
I think what's great is Han overcompensates in his dislike of her because they're so similar. You know what I mean? Like he recognizes things he hates about himself and that uh, Princess Leia hates about him or claims to hate about him. But I wanted to ask you because, uh, again, example of great, great um, referencing the past uh, and fan service without with it while being touching but not over the top is the way she stirs up memories of Padme just by talking and getting him to think, even though he claims he's not listening to her. That is so hard to get away with with a new female character with Darth fucking Vader that she would have an effect on him and he's still not so far gone that he's still thinking about about the Padme days, right? I, I love that. I can't remember where it is. Uh, thoughts? I, I believe it is in volume two of the first uh, series of Darth Vader when he starts having flashback. I think it, it shows that while Vader is Vader, he still flashes back to his old life. He's yes. still, I, I, he's not to the point of being com- conflicted, conflicted. I don't think that really happens until after he gets rejected by his son, but there's still... I don't want to use the word conflict, but there's, there's still a flicker of Anakin. So what do you think? I mean, because there's no talking. It's just him having memories. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, is it just that that Afra, in her own weird way, with her charisma and charm, just reminds him of Padme? Or is it just... Okay, so is, at that point... I mean, let's... At oh, 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 sorry, let me, let's be honest. I'll throw it to you. Let's be honest. Darth Vader never lets anyone talk that much in front of him, ever. I mean, when was the last time Anakin Skywalker had someone talk that much in front of him? Not since he was Anakin Skywalker. He just lets it go on and on and on, and she starts stirring up memories. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. If you remember, at that point in time, when he's having flashbacks to his life uh, as Anakin, is when he's tracking down, um, confirming the fact that he has a son, and he's building a private army. So he's going to Genosha. Uh, he is thinking about Padme and flashing back to her because she has a son. Is it true? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, he's getting triggered. Those memories are being triggered and reminded. So when Alpha comes in front of him with that information uh, while she's talking, of course, it's going to trigger memories. So let me l- l- let me keep pushing on this, though. So, But you know what I'm talking about, like... Before she actively tries to run away from him, there are moments when he could justify killing her. And so we do know a lot about Darth Vader. We know a lot about Anakin Skywalker. I mean, I want to say you keep saying you're not a Darth Vader person, but you are an Anakin person, right? So you have to sort of be a Vader person, I guess. I, I, wouldn't, say I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm an Anakin person oh, really? either. Yeah, no. I mean, obviously I do like these characters, but they're not, you know, my fave five. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, okay. So, but now you have a new character introduced through the comics with Afra. So let's do a little, again, I want to praise the, the creators. Um, Gillen, who writes for both Vader and the Afra comics, doing a phenomenal job. I don't know if that's a man or a woman, but you are doing a great job, ma'am or sir. Uh, Karen Gillen, I believe is the name of the writer. Um, yeah, it's a guy. It's a guy. Okay. Um, so, uh, 
So she is so popular, she gets spun off. I mean, if someone told you, they were like, yeah, we're doing a rogue archaeologist comic book. So let's say back in 2013, they're like, yeah, one of the first big spinoffs we're going to do is a rogue archaeologist who's a woman and a, a lesbian openly and is Darth Vader's buddy and the one person he doesn't like kill when he probably should. Uh, you know, all of these characteristics on paper before you get to that point, it'd be like, no way, people aren't going to buy it. But she's selling well, obviously. I mean, she's going as strong as anybody so you've talked about um what you love about her can you speculate uh based on your talks with other female or male podcasters or gamers or so forth who do like afra i know some of the there are people in destiny that like but love afra um what do other people seem to love about her i would i guess to to almost uh, to oversimplify it i think the reason why they love her is the reason why they like indiana jones just the sense of adventure the sense of charisma the sense of living by your own rules without having to worry about repercussion or laws and you know having a good sense of humor and it's just it, that's what that's what i would get it, it, it it's just it, it's so intentional that she represents mm-hmm. she's so similar to Indiana and she's falling into the same category because I think it touches the same point that people are attracted to in a fictional character. Um, because because if you look at it, because because if you look at it, you know, Tomb Raider, Laura Croft, you know, she she kind of does a a venture, but she doesn't have the same popularity as Indiana. So obviously, there's something in the Indiana Jones character that attracts people to him that is in the Afro character that that's why they are attracted to her. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask one more time and then we're going to move, uh, then we're going to talk Vader versus Afro comics just in terms of the storylines and then move into some of the other ones. But I'll ask one more time directly. Why do you think Darth Vader keeps her around of all people? When his behavior would normally indicate she would never live long enough to have her own comic book line. Because she reminds him of Ahsoka. You think it's primarily Ahsoka? That's really interesting. Um, I do. Yeah. I do. I, I think yeah. that the characters are yeah. so similar that yeah. obviously, you know... Yep. Can I can I ask you a, a, char- a character comparison? And obviously, because it's the Bizzlecast and because it's the drinking game, but I, I, this is genuinely a, a character that I think of bec- just because of the outlawishness. Um, uh, while reading Afra is obviously Jen, and now you you know you've thought a lot more about Jen in, in recent times, uh, and have, I, I always respect your opinion on this. On paper, other than being outside the law, they're completely different. But there is this sort of bubbling charisma below the surface of, of Jin that I think is reminiscent in feeling to Afra, even though they're so different, their priorities are different. Um, you know what I mean? Their ultimate choices, at least for now, are different. But do you get? It, 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 is it weird that I get Jin vibes with her? I guess it's just also compared to Ray and Leia, who are just so you know so on the other side of the universe. Uh, thoughts about about the Jin comparisons and or. Would it be cool to get Jin and them to meet each other? So I want to talk about the latter one, and I would be like, yes, I, I would actually like to, to have a story of them meeting. Um, but I think Jin is a lot more subtle uh, than Afra when it comes to her charisma, and I think Jin has more of a moral center for Alaska words with Afra. You know, like I said, Afra would basically sell somebody out, basically for adventure and profit. We see this in Screaming Citadel. And so good. Oh. Um, so, I, and I don't think Jin would do that. By the way, um, guys, I'm also a big fan of modern image comics. Uh, 
it's definitely like a very like noir somewhat horror sci-fi kind of uh uh aesthetic but if you read screaming citadel um series i think it's five books jgg or six it is about it's yeah. six issues. That, yeah, the what they do with the art and the red and the blood and the magic and, and the you know the black, red and white and stuff like that's very reminiscent to like Image Comics. If you guys want to get a sense, you Marvel Star Wars readers, I, I love the art in that and obviously the relationship between Luke um, and Afra. Um, and so yeah, I guess um, uh, I I think the reason she reminds me of Jin, I think they have the most similar physicality in terms of when they're running or fighting. They kind of look similar. Um, like Leia and Ray have very much their own style. I, I, you know, I think they sort of basing her a little bit on Jin's movements, but they flip the character totally the other way. I mean, she has guys sort of has daddy issues, and then she's on the run from the Empire. I mean, there are there are similarities. Um, I guess it's uh, I guess my point is more that she feels like she fits in the Rogue One galaxy more than some of the other movies, perhaps. Um, um, I would I yeah. would actually say that she fits more into Solo. Hmm. Um, because of her, you know, loose moles and not king, stuff like that. And you were talking about the fighting style. I think Jin is more likely to fight with her hands as well as the gun. I think Afra's more likely just to shoot. Yeah, yeah. I just meant more the way they move. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to look back. But, um... Uh, well, the, the way we the way they move, we know exactly where your head is, yeah? The way they move. And suddenly <laughs> the Outcast song is popping into my head. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, they're built similarly, and so you have to make it look real. So why not look at Jen for that? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, we 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 got you know we got to hit your Jin Jin guys. Yeah, got to get the Jin guys in, man. Um, but 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 in all serious in all seriousness though, uh, other than just enjoying the hell out of it, do you buy? Let me put it this way. And then we move on to some other comic book topics. Do you buy Afra as a great and, and believable and um, you know realistic addition to the comic universe? And what I'm about to say is not implying that they should or will cast her live action. But does she feel like she fits in the Star Wars film universe as well? Actually, you just pointed to Solo, which was interesting. Yeah, I was thinking sort of Solo mixed with Rogue One. Um, does she fit in this, the wider galaxy? I do. I, I think she fits really well in the Star Wars universe. I think there's a reason why she is the most popular non-TV character in Star Wars canon right now. There's a reason why she's the only comic character, I believe, that has gotten an action figure. She's really popular. She fits into the universe, and I think if she got cast into a movie, I don't know if you, you could do her own movie. I think her character could steal the film. Absolutely. I mean, if she, I mean, and here's the here's the comparison I'm going to make is the great dialogue. And Jay Google, I have to say, I, I binged uh, this character's uh, comics uh, last year when I first really got into her. Uh, I've revisited a few times since. That, uh, that of course is the relatively newer version of Batgirl, at least in the last twenty years. Manifestations of Barbara Gordon. Uh, I don't just like the current run and series they're doing, but there was some great stuff there. But what I learned reading the better of the Batgirl stuff is that. 
what makes those comics great is that there's tons of dialogue boxes of her thinking. There's not a ton of dialogue. And like, she's thinking about how she forgot to take out the trash while she's like beating up a bunch of guys. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's, it's hilarious, but also believable for a super genius. I mean, Avra's a super genius, even though she acts like a dummy and she acts based on feeling, but her brain is, is it, her intellectual brain is ginormous. Um, and she just can't stop talking. Barbara Gordon does that in her head. I call this journaling, uh, whether they're, you know speaking even when after speaking it's not clear whether she's actually speaking or you know it's in her head kind of thing um does that make sense like i really like that style i used to not like comic books with a lot of dialogue but when it's thoughts while you're watching action going on or they're just sort of commenting on the action in a funny way i really like that style and that's what uh, as a comic book character ultimately appeals to me about afra I didn't read the comics here, so I, I don't know. I, she, she reminds me very much of a much more subtle Buffy. I, I, I get Buffy vibes off of her. Yeah, I mean, she Joss Whedon probably loves Afra, dude. He probably reads Afra. I mean, that is right up his alley, that, that character. Well, I, I guess we know who should make an Afra movie. Or, dude, or, what if you hire Joss Whedon to do a 12-episode, one-time-only Afra mini, uh, series on um, oh, the new my Disney God. Channel? Oh my it's god! Easy, easy. Please, 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 so, please. He, he could do that in his sleep. All you know, he could bring in, uh, you know, Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion for like small little guest roles. Get everyone, you know what I mean? Like bringing characters from the the main universe. I, I think we're gonna start seeing. Um, look, I mean, John Favreau's series is clearly film level. Uh, it seems like it's going to be film level in terms of the amount of constant like mainstream canon we're getting now in, in the time period. Yeah. I think like an Afro show would, would do amazing and, and, and they would even give us more than in the comics potentially. So question for you. Uh-huh. Um, but, but, but before I ask the question, I do want to do a, uh, a comment. I do say before episode four mm-hmm. with Afra and Santa Storch and there's just, so much that you could do with it, but do you think that it is possible that if Afra comes to live action or the TV animated thing, that it would be in the John Favreau uh, live action TV series? I, I know that is a little bit after Return of the Jedi, but I don't know. I think it would be a good way of introducing the character to uh, the wider audience. I mean, if Sabine and Ahsoka can survive after Return of the Jedi, I mean, the amount of death that she's constantly getting herself out after that is, I mean, to, to evade Darth Vader for, you know, months or years on top of everything else and you're acting like an idiot. Yeah, she's just stupid enough. Uh, what, what is Nathan Fillion saying? Firefly? My kind of stupid. Uh, she's just my Not- kind of stupid to survive through, through it, even if just by accident and good luck. Not only surviving Vader, but surviving, you know, Triple Jill and BT. <laughs> and her former lovers who want to both kiss and kill her at the same time. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do, do you want to talk about the aspect of the character? Um, and then uh, uh, we can maybe do a sort of final section with some of the other stuff. Um, do you want to just the, the sexuality relationship side of her? Sure, sure, sure. So, um... One of the reasons why she is one of my favorite characters is because she is such a diverse character. There's no character like her. Like, not only is her sexual orientation so different, but she's Asian. Obviously, she's female. And you have all these aspects of her character that are not relevant. Uh, The relevancy of her character is her personality, the story, the adventures. And the fact that she is having love of calls with a woman 
it, it doesn't matter and it works so well that they they nailed Afra so well that I, I just, it's just freaking amazing because it is such a hot topic issue that I have not heard one bad thing about mm-hmm. Afra when it comes to her diversity. Yeah, and that's some hot kissing too, guys. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's very realistic looking. You see that a little bit over the years with the more adult X-Men or X-Force uh, comic books, but in general, in mainline comic books, you don't even get men and women wrapped around each other kissing that passionately a ton. You know what I mean? Um, and I respect that they, they go for it. I, I do think it's interesting that the, one of the writers of Afro, again, is one of the writers of Vader. They, they, they love the character, clearly. Um, do you know anything about the conception of the character, or we have to, should we research that for a later date? I do not know anything about the concept, conception of the character. I don't know if there's much out there. You could probably look into Killian interviews or something. I'm sure he brought it up. Um, but anyways, what I want to say is, is that between Afra and Tolvin is so unique. Like, obviously, they are crazy for each other, but they, they Tolvin, Tolvin wants to kill her, but she wants to, she loves her. It's, it's a very intre- interesting dynamic. Alright, guys. Well, we could we could talk Afra all day. I think, Jay Giggert, we both expected to talk a ton of Afra. That's what I wanted, because uh, she's perfect representation of what's going right in the comics. I do want to get to a few more topics, or, or slash characters, slash comic book lines, uh, that you are into um, over the past few years um but i i do want to restate what i said before i i do seriously think yeah any sort of uh live action thing is on the table for afra in terms of just her dimensionality of a character and her being popular as a character um i i do think it's interesting also there hasn't seemingly been a giant outcry about her sexual preference after there had been a problem at other points uh you know with idiots out there um so that's great um and she's just really fun to read final question um on afra and vader uh unless you you know more thoughts obviously um which i've been meaning to ask you is do you prefer the portrayal of both aesthetic and writing wise for her in the Vader comics or in her own comics? Or are they equally good to you? I, I, I think I like both of them. It is obviously a different setting for her portrayal in the Vader series and her portrayal in the Alpha series. Obviously in the Vader series, she is part of Vader's story. She's doing Vader's handiwork in the Alpha series. She is her own character. I, I like both. I'm going to cheat here. I'm usually I'm not one to use that, but I'm going to say I like both. Yeah. Um, guys, we actually took a little break. We were having some sound difficulties. Hopefully they are fixed. Because uh, I wanted to look up, Jagged Girl, when the first moment uh, was when uh, Afro being there started making him have flashbacks, specific pl- flashbacks to Padme. And I believe it's in episode, f- uh, I'm sorry, issue four. Um, where they're on Geonosis. And unsurprisingly, he's thinking back to his, you know, traumatic and crazy and exciting adventure with Padme in, in Geonosis. And, and then it happens more after there. Um, I love it. I, I think sh- my personal opinion, being way less of an expert um, and, you know, having obviously rushed through some of them, I think ever slightly better in Vader just because um, the, con- the contrast between her tone and the Vader's tone, both the character and the book, works really nicely with each other. I also uh, kind of 
again, this is a nitpicky thing, personal preference. I like the artist of the Vader stuff a little bit more than the artist of Afra. Although I will say, now we're getting to major Afra spoilers. Jay Geekroll, I know you just read the most recent issue, so actually let's do this before we leave Afra, uh, which is, I think the everything, the art's definitely getting better. The stories are getting crazier. Um, so major spoilers, guys. So what do you think of the, the recent uh, issues of Afra? Um, being maybe as irrational as she ever has before and it's it's hilarious well the thing about Afra and her own series is right now in my opinion that right now in canon the most experimental thing and things that are happening in the canon is in the Afra series there are arcs in the Afra comics that are so out of the box and so different that it's it's fresh and it's unique. So while the Afro story in Beta might been more, I don't know, up your alley and, and better, in the Afro main series, she, there's a lot more freedom. There's a lot yeah. more exploration. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it, it, it's crazy, but the good kind of crazy because they, they, they're, not hold, they're not beholden to many, many things. They, they could do so many things because it's a character that is popular, well-known, that has a good story, that has ties to characters that we all know and love, that is not, okay, this character has to do this because their story has already been wrote. They can take it any way they want. And that is why I love Afra, because, yes, there are canon comics that are doing so well, but they are all conforming to a set narrative. With the after story, mm-hmm. there there is a narrative, but there is no narrative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I think she points to the fact again, guys, a totally abysmal opinion that the bounty hunters and scum and villainy people in all the media, including the movies, who have no personality or just straight ahead evil, like Jabba, aren't really that interesting. Certainly Boba Fett, but. The ones that are memorable just look to the Clone Wars. Like, who do you think are, are like the, um, in your opinion, the like two or three, um, if there are two or three, bounty hunters, uh, pirates, etc. Who you think stand out? Uh, Hondo Yunako, uh, Hondo, yep, Cad Bane, yep. Um, if we're not counting Afra, I think those um, are the two for me. Well, if you want to, I don't know if you would count Lando in that category. No, yeah, I'm just talking about Clone Wars in particular. Oh, yeah, Clone Wars, yeah. Uh huh. So, but what do those two have in common? I mean, Cad Bane's not drop, uh, laugh out loud, hilarious, but he's got great lines and he's kind of juicy as a villain. But to me, Hondo is clearly the best, and that's why he survived to one of the many reasons he survived to Rebels is because Hondo's great, and he is also he has the exact same morality as Afra, essentially. Well- Oh, yeah, he does. They both have personality, too. But they also, you never know when they're going to turn and when they're being real or not, you know? Because they always, no. when they turn to the bad guys and, and then the good guys say, you've betrayed us. And they say, no, it was all part of the plan, right? They, they pull that trick all the time. It's great. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, like I said before, they have personality. And that right there attracts, you know, listeners and viewers and readers to their characters because... If if a character has a personality, you're immediately drawn to them. Like there's so much love for Boba Fett, but he has no personality. Not say um, Hondo does, and 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 you're right. I think there's such a similarity between Hondo and Afra that if you had to look at the Star Wars mere version of Afra, it would be Hondo. So if you, the listener, are listening to this episode, 
episode and never read an Afro comic, uh, but maybe have seen Rebels or the Clone Wars. Uh, she's very much like Hondo with how loose she is. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I guess final question um, with her is, what do you think her ultimate motivations are? And is she just someone who proves that some people can be definitively neither good nor evil and just in the middle there somewhere? Or, or do you think push comes to shove, she'll, she'll pick a side? I think her primary motive is thrill, adventure, adrenaline. I think she does what she does because she likes living on the edge. I think she's hooked on to the adrenaline, the thrill. The, it's kind of like the same thing, you know, like making out in your pants, you know, having a guy or girl over and making out underneath your pants roof when they could come home anytime. It's the thrill. I think she lives for the thrill, the adventure. Uh, I think that's why she is so attracted to Talvin and Santa Stars because they are characters that are out there on the edge, you know, what could be more scandalous than her hooking up with a Imperial who basically could lose her job for everything that she's doing with yeah. F. She's whispering love to her while she's like calling out commands for them to kill her at the same time. It's so funny. I- I, I, I love I love oh. the little nickname that they have for each other, like the joy, uh, joystick chevron. And, yeah, you know, joystick. joystick. <laughs> like when, when Talvin is about to be executed and she's daydreaming of Afra, and, you know, the, the guy comes in and they're about to execute her, and then yeah. and uh, the guy's like, stop, and she's like, yeah. Afra? Oh, no, just like uh, joystick chevron. Yeah. It, it's very funny. I mean, as great as Han Leia is, this is the reverse Han Leia, where Aphra's Han and Telvin is the imperial version of Leia, essentially. <laughs> like, constantly trying to decide whether they love this person or want to kill them, but from the other side, and this actually makes it funnier, and con- the scenarios they get into are just ridiculous. I mean, it seems like Telvin is, is not long to live, but I, I hope so. It, they definitely have a good uh, dynamic, and that is very entertaining, and it's very creepy and it, it reminds me of like a lot of the tv series uh would usually have two people who are attracted to each other that never hooked up that you always you want them to hook up but the moment that they hook up they lose that interesting part right now it reminds me a lot of that i think the relationship between talvin and Alpha is so interesting and so juicy that you you just you just want more of it um so all right. Well, we'll have to continue this because c- there's at least three more, I think, uh, uh, issues in this arc. Um, if they're doing a six issue arc, so we can revisit this because I do. I we've been on a while and and, and it's been great. I want to talk a lot of Afro. We did it, but I want to talk some other stuff. So I'm just going to throw it to you. Characters, comic books, recent last few years. W- 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 just start with something. We'll go from there. I think when it comes to the villain Dark Side comics. Uh, the Darth Maul miniseries really stuck out to me uh, because it was the, the art in it was so beautiful. We got to see a period in canon before the Phantom Menace. It was so raw. It was so intense, and it brought it. it, it I, I remember reading the series, and it reminded me a lot of them basically uniting the sequel trilogy with the prequel trilogy and having it full circle and and if you love dark mall if you love the dark side if you love a vicious animal i, I definitely recommend that series because it, it's it, it, because it's so juicy so basically um to quick give a summary of yeah. the story is i just pulled it up Ma- on my ipad go for it mall basically finds out that 
a Jedi Padawan has been captured, and he, this is before the Phantom Menace, uh, the Sith are still in hiding, and he is like a caged animal. He needs action. So basically what he does is defying Sidious orders, mm-hmm. and he basically goes and tracks down this Padawan, and <laughs> Seems to basically, be yeah. um, basically wants to uh, hunt her and kill her because he wants that fight. Mm-hmm. He wants that challenge. And it brings in Cat Bane and Aurora Singh. It, it's just it's just really juicy because there's a point in the story where they do team up, but we know how the story is going to end. And, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was a little prettier than substance-wise, but it was great to see Cat Bane or Singh. Um, so this is, this will be the official Bizzle sidebar because I do want to get to a couple more comics. I'm really glad he brought up Darth Maul, which is, it seems to me ever since Lucas somehow successfully brought back Darth Maul to the point where no one cares how he lives because they just were happy to see Maul back and so great and, and complicated, right? So since then... I feel like Lucas and now Disney has always been one step ahead of us with Maul. Like, we keep thinking we're not going to get more Maul just because why would they give us more Maul? But we keep getting it, and it's great. Am I wrong about that? I mean, culminating in Solo's ending. No, uh, no, there's a reason why, you know, we see more Maul is because he is such a mm-hmm. good villain to have. He's a good character. And I do want to touch upon a little bit, but in this series, we get to see a little bit of the later version of Maul that we see, the clever version, the version that is hanging out with scum, and we get to see a little bit of his, I don't want to say brains, but hunting skills, and his, you know, there's more to it than a ruthless animal. I will say that, even though I love the physical performance of Ray Park, obviously in episode one, um, it's probably... uh, my, the, the, the two things I remember most from 1999 are uh, Neo dodging bullets and the Obi-Wan uh, Qui-Gon fight with Darth Maul. I will never forget that. I love that Maul. And, and I give credit to this five-issue series, Jagged Girl, for making him more dimensional than I kind of figured older Darth Maul was. But for me, it also teased I want stuff, new stuff with the you know clone wars era darth maul and there is that in the in the dathomir book which i just didn't find that compelling and it felt like we got better and more stuff like that in the clone wars where where maul was obviously um so prominent i just almost finished season five in my clone wars rewatch i i forgot that like all of that is packed at the end there the whole final mandalore bit and then you know the soka's investigation so far fourth is amazing it's so brutal how he kills satine but anyways point being we're starting to see this all come together we get maul comics and then that leads to you know we've had maul and rebels now now we get maul in solo and uh so here's the sidebar jaggy girl is was the solo reveal decided upon specifically to lead up to the Clone Wars announcement and ultimately the Clone Wars, or is there more, even more to Maul's future? I think there's more to Maul's future. I don't think it was a, hey, we are bringing back this year, so let's put him in there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it is, like I, I talked about this before in a previous podcast, it is my opinion that he is like the connecting thread. He's like, he was originally supposed to be like the Thanos, like the cameo that is supposed to lead to more or could lead to more or it could just be let 
led to, I think, you know, it's and you know, that is the aspect of the character that we did not get to see the end of. Uh, we saw him at the beginning of his story in Rebels being stuck on Mandalore. Uh, so the last time we saw him, he was leading, he was like uh, on charge of, he was like ahead of Mandalore, and he was a criminal mastermind. So it makes complete sense. And I think it was a good idea they included him because it, it ties up. It doesn't, I don't want to say tie up the thread, but it'd be like, hey, remember, you know, Maul was a head of a criminal organization. Um, but it also it opens up the door for more stories. So, <clears throat> I mean, th- we've never really discussed this, which is how much Maul's appearance and where he appears to be in the solo movie is kind of complicated, right? I mean, do we know for sure what, y- what year in the timeline this, that happens in? Yeah, we do. Okay. okay, so when we see Solo as a young man, a young man um, escaping the right worm, that is thirteen years before A New Hope. Uh, the the actual uh, okay. film of the Solo, the main portion, takes place ten years before A New Hope, mm-hmm. which is like four or five. Which is like uh, let me see here, like five or six years before his appearance in Rebels. Right. Uh, the question I was gonna th- to this as the official sidebar question that I'm le- keep leading to is what do you think went on between 10 BBY and 4 BBY or whatever? Cause there's clearly a transition from him being in dominance of the black sun, having survived siege of Mandalore working with Kira, but he's on Malachor. Um, it, 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 there's gotta be a transition point, you know, to, to the crazy old guy hanging out at Malachor full time. Maybe not. I think a, either a, he gets betrayed um, or B, the Empire steps in. Um, obviously, he falls from quote-unquote grace and he transitions into the mall that we see in Rebels. Obviously, he loses his empire. Uh, and we haven't really gotten the story of how that empire is started because Crimson Dawn is his organization, yes, but that's not his organization from uh, the Clone Wars arcs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it came from there, but there, there, there's still that story to be told of how he formed his own organization. So I think that we'll, we'll get that, mm-hmm. you know? So I here's, think we'll get that story. Here's the biggest gap. Here's the biggest gap between the prequels, the Clone Wars, um, uh, and then what went on in between, and then Solo, and then you know Obi Wan. Spoiler alert: killing him for the second time for good at the end of Star Wars, relative end of Star of Star Wars Rebels, um, which is he says specifically when he kills Satine, "I don't want to kill you. I want to make you suffer the way I did." So at that point, he doesn't want to kill Obi Wan. He just wants to keep making him suffer. Um, so the begs the question of what's the transition between then and then Ahsoka beating him in in you know combat in the siege of Mandalore to him then getting back on his feet to to work with criminals again to being the crazy old guy who's obsessed with this Sith temple and then killing Kenobi doesn't quite make sense but maybe I mean let me throw it to you for this question and then maybe we'll swerve back from the sidebar because it is fascinating to me is you know maybe they're waiting to fill that in they're like we've got tons of great material here. Okay, so I think it does make uh, make sense because mm-hmm. it is my opinion that, well, he did want to confront Obi-Wan. It, it could be such a thing that he had a death wish. Like, he knew subconsciously that he was going through the cycles of misery. And he if he wanted to end his life, it's kind of like suicide by cop, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess you can say it. Like, he wanted his misery to end. 
So what better way to do it? It's like either I'm going to kill my foe or my foe is going to kill me. And one way or another, it's over. Um, right, but when did that kick in? Because when he's running the, the crime organizations, it seems like he's embracing life, at least temporarily, by doing that thing. Like, he doesn't have a death wish at that point. So when does okay. the death wish kick in? Okay, so it is my opinion that I think he thinks only one didn't survive Order 66 because we see this in Rebels. When Ezra and Maul combine the the holocrons, they both got to look at Obi Wan, and I think Maul was surprised that Obi Wan was alive at that point in time, and that ignited a reunited his obsession with Obi Wan. Yeah, I mean, it's great too because. Even when the Twilight Apprentice is the first time we see him in, you know, the newer era or whatever, um, he's clearly been sparring and going after the Sith and the Empire up to that point. He's very familiar with the Inquisitors. I just watched this again. I've seen it so many times. I mean, there's this great part where they, they're not even trying to fight Ahsoka and, and Kanan, and the two of them are just like, if they're not here for us, who are they here for? And it turns out that they're there for Maul. So he'd been trying to wage a war against the Sith, but he wants to kill Kenobi. I mean, he just goes crazy at some point, I think, right? I mean... Yeah, he, he definitely does. You know, he was a man obsessed, you know, and mad, you know, even though he was cleaned by Mother Talzin, he always has been fueled by rage. That's how Dark Side uses youth, and uh, it, it consumes him. Mm-hmm. That's just, you know. Absolutely, and we will be talking about that more on our Clone Wars episodes coming up very soon. So, all right, just do a, a short final segment here. We'll do some quick hits on um some more comics and then we can uh, continue this into the future um so uh, anything non-villainous uh, that, that you've been enjoying the last couple of years oh my goodness um i wasn't expecting that question give me a moment here um i think lando mm-hmm. is probably really noticeable um, he isn't exactly villain he isn't exactly heroic in that story but he isn't exactly villainous either um, plus you got like sweet dark side things. Shattered Empire, mm-hmm. I think it's a good story. Um, there could be a little bit more to it, but I think it's pretty good. Um, the solo miniseries, I think it's good. Um, we got to see the racial side of Han Solo a little bit and we got to see more, you know, uniqueness and stuff like that. Um, let me see here. Uh, main series, Leia, Lando, uh, Chewie, Han... Uh, I mean, yeah, they've been restrained on the number they put out. Honestly, they could they could be putting out way more. They've been very restrained, so they're lucky that most of them are pretty good. Otherwise, they'd have a problem. They did. They have been. Um, but I think one of the areas um, I I would like to bring up is mm-hmm. uh, other like the annuals and the one shots uh, where you have a contained story. Um, like not all of them are good. Some of them are pretty like DJ. I don't think it's good, but to tie it up around and come full circle as I do want to talk about the latest Dark Vader annual mm-hmm. um, because I think that is a pinnacle when it comes to these annual and one-shot episode mm-hmm. uh, issues. Um, and I do want to talk about it because it is connected to your film, you know. But I do want to touch upon that because it is tied into Rogue One. And I think we should wrap up with that story because I really liked it. And 
it connected a lot of things that perhaps we did not know were connected. I have so many questions for you about this, but I want to let you talk about it a little bit more before I, I start hitting you with questions. Oh, uh, go ahead. Hit me. Well, can you just, just talk a little bit more. I, I'm going to just talk a little bit more about what in particular you, you liked uh, in it. Okay. So in the Veda annual number two issue, we find out how Veda discovered what the Death Star was for. Uh, up until that point in time, he knew that the Death Star was being built, but he did not know that it was going to be a planet killer. And the story of this issue focuses on him discovering that. And what is that like for him? What does that mean for him being the weapon of the Empire, the, being a weapon for the Emperor, um, being confronted with uh, another weapon? So, um, okay. You ready to dive in on this? Cause I have so many questions. So, yeah, go okay. for it. I got to work backwards from Rogue One. So, they, they, they know there's a leak. It takes them, the Empire that is in Rogue One, it takes them a while to realize it's coming from Galen's facility and that Galen's behind it. You know, they trust him too much. That's because Krennic, you know, uh, trusts him um, mistakenly. Um, but then the thing that doesn't totally make sense, Jaggy Girl, is remember when Tarkin, towards the end, gets the report that there's fighting on Scarif and he goes, well, where is Krennic? And they're like, Krennic's already there. And then the Tarkin out loud isn't like, isn't that where the Death Star plans are? And they're like, yep. So they go to the planet with the Death Star and don't blow up the communications tower the whole time. I mean, literally all they'd have to do is blow up where Jin and Cassian are climbing around. They could easily have destroyed it, e- even from on the ground there. But then they don't and they address this in the Star Wars comics, right? Where they they talk. There's one admiral who, uh, from that classic scene uh, in the original movie, where all the bad guys are sitting around, and, and Vader gives his speech about the power of the Force, blah blah blah. Uh, so one of those guys ends up surviving, and he's he's like the only guy who's skeptical and thinks that it's a big deal that they were stolen. But in this comic, Jagged Girl, they're investigating it very closely. And so, while I love this comic and getting Krennic with Vader and so forth. It, it, I mean, they even mentioned Stardust. So the, how can you explain to me as a reader how the, they wouldn't be on to the Stardust thing uh, by the time Rogue One happens? Okay, so number one, the, the, the comic takes place like uh, we're within the first year of the Empire. So it takes place when uh, the Ursals, uh, um, Galen is still working for the Empire. It takes place before they leave uh, the Empire in Catalyst. Uh, so it's like years before that story. So I, I don't know what connective things you're trying to make. And well, what no, the stuff? Well, that's the whole point is he ran away and then they had to bring him back in by force. They should have, if they were investigating that early, the Stardust Project and anything with Galen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess okay. the idea is Krennic just really decided that Galen had joined the Empire when, when he no, had it. Okay. So the, what, what they are investigating is, is the problem with the Death Star is it, it's always been sabotage after sabotage after sabotage. So basically what they are investigating is the latest round of sabotaging. And they're trying to get, you know, to find out who is sabotaging it, um, who is messing with our supplies, who is attacking Krennic. And we find out that it is a Geonosian queen who is reproducing against the Empire's law. It has nothing to do with Galen. Mm -hmm. It's just basically... 
they they basically brought him up because it's like okay, who could be sabotaging it? And they had it. It was it was more of a a wink and a nod, if you will, at that point in time in the story. Okay, but I'm I'm looking at it, and so the at the beginning, Vader sees Stardust at in um. Uh, and Scarif, I guess, and then he's back in Coruscant, breaks into Galen's office. This is where he starts stop suspecting Galen, but he does see the Stardust thing. So Vader, many years before, already knew about it. And then, even though Vader was on the periphery of, of Rogue One, he obviously was he you know was with Krennic. He could have read Krennic's intentions and so forth. It's just interesting. I mean, let me put it this way: the comics have done a great job of complicating whether Vader actually should have not should have whether vader didn't try harder to stop the death star from happening because he wanted to prove how much of a folly it was and that is brilliant and they've been they haven't come out and said it that way but vader who's so perceptive for some reason whenever he sees things related to that to vulnerabilities in the death star he either you know talks down about it or just conveniently ignores it like here with stardust Uh, i think he wanted it to fail um ultimately and let's be honest uh the death of uh, Tarkin and all those senior officers on the Death Star really helped his career, you know, that he was able to survive into Empire Strikes Back. So I just think it's interesting. Yeah, I loved it too. I think he's a little bit more amp- uh, ap- um, not empathetic, but um, empathetic about it. Oh. Yeah, he, he couldn't really care less, but any, but any, that's besides the point. I think he, he, he I think he felt threatened by the Death Star, mm-hmm. and that is why it is implied that he let the Ursos know so they could run away. Mm-hmm. Um, it is implied that way. It's not stated clear one way or another, but it is clear, you know, and Vader has always been one to go behind the Emperor, Emperor's back to uh, make sure that his well-being and his power is retained. This is basically something that all Imperials do. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that I think he didn't want to be replaced as uh, the major weapon for the Empire. Um, I don't know if he wanted the pro- pro- um, project to outright fail, uh, um, but I don't think he wanted to be replaced. I think it's all about the selfishness of Vader um, and keeping his place. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading into it, and again, I've been binging this, so it's Vader, 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 Vader. Um, and... I think the interesting with Vader, as always, is nonverbal stuff. So I'm reading into body language. I'm also reading to the fact that he's like investigating Urso the whole time, and then as soon as he s- sees proof that it might be the Geonosians, he immediately says, "Ah, it's the Geonosians." Even though he, what I'm saying is, I agree with you. I don't think he's specifically sabotaging the Death Star, but they're hinting that, like, for example, he could pull on the Stardust thread more, and he probably could figure it out because he's Vader, and when he's, you know, not blinded by stuff, he, he's pretty brilliant when it comes to that stuff. So he could have figured it out. So I think, yeah, I think he was sort of taking a wait and see approach to the Death Star. Um, which makes him seem kind of smarter than maybe we thought he was. You know, it seemed like orig- if you just watch A New Hope, you'd be like, oh, this guy has strong force powers, but ultimately they're pushing him around. But th- with everything else, obviously, we, it, we get a different view of Vader. And it would make sense from a selfish, practical way for a lot of people like Tarkin to get out of get out of his way. And it, and it really works in his, his favor, for sure. Um, so... Um, Oh, really quickly. So I haven't had time to read the new Vader series, which takes place uh, between three and four, correct? Yeah, it does. Um, and any, any comments on that? And then we'll do final thoughts and wrap up? Uh, that 
that series is fantastic. If I think if there's one series that you had to read that isn't named Afra, with right now with how long Afra has been running, I think it would be. I don't want to say hard to get aboard, but because there's so her story is so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I think the Vader uh, series two is so fantastic. It's so. It's the Vader that people want to see. It's the Vader Unleashed. It's the Vader who discovers how to make a lightsaber, uh, a Sith lightsaber. It's the Vader that, you know, gets his castle that we see on Mustafar. It's the Vader who is becoming his own. Uh, the Vader who leads the Inquisitors. It's really good and it's really delicious for those who want evil stuff. And the first issue takes place directly after, kind of during the end of Rogue One. And and we get to see what happens after you fade to black after the hmm. after the no and, and we get to see like okay Vader has a lightsaber but you know he he lost his lightsaber Obi Wan took it that thief um so how how did he how did he create one like how do how did the Sith uh, create a lightsaber and that that the first arc touched upon that and also we are in a dark period so like obviously the Jedi who survived. You know, we, we touched upon that for a little bit. And okay. Is it- so, c- I'm sorry. Can I give you a couple quick hit comics I want to get your opinion on w- along those lines? Yeah. So, okay. So, I'm going to just jump through some good guy comic books. These are all ones I've read some or most of. And you can give your your f- feedback on. Um, okay. A couple random things. So, Shattered Empire. So... I, I really like it. I, I, it's great. Um... So the version I have that's digital, it's the Shattered Empire story, but then they put Leia number one in there, and then they have like some like old school Star Wars at the end. It's like a, I don't know if that's how it was released. No. Um, I, 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 I this is the only negative thing. I'm, I I hated Leia <laughs> number one. I had heard it was bad. It was really painfully bad. It doesn't sound like Leia. It does it. It's not in the spirit of Leia. I'm not saying the line isn't good. That issue wasn't good. But that being said. Everything with Shara Bay and Leia um, and, and the, the the crew, you know, following the events of Return of the Jedi. Jay Good Girl, this is, I mean, Shara Bay already looks like a real life character. They should just cast her, Poe's mom. I feel like for sure we're going to see it in Favreau, especially with all the Poe and, and Resistance. But regardless, if we see Shara Bay, I love these comics too. You know, I love the stuff about uh, the Emperor's plans. Uh, where do you see this fitting in with the, the, the larger uh, canon at this point? What do you mean? Um, well, just they drop a lot in this, you know, with the because um, again, we don't get a lot post Return of the Jedi, right? So, I mean, do you think even though this came out a few years ago, do you think this is like a template they'll be following um, with the post Return of the Jedi stuff we're going to get? No, I, I think it was just basically giving us content post uh, Return of the Jedi, basically giving us a sneak peek of what the galaxy looked like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it introduced things that we see in other canon material, but it's not supposed to be something that is supposed to be a building block, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the story is so short and the glimpses that we get are so small that I don't want to say that the story is irrelevant, um, but, but but it's so small and contained that it, it was just basically like a, a taste mm-hmm. of uh, the galaxy after Return of the Jedi. Absolutely. And what I loved was they made Char Bay a cool character. It wasn't like, oh, this is Poe's mom, and we're going to just keep talking about how it's Poe's mom, and that's what makes her important, you know? Um, 
like she wasn't like a revolutionarily great character, but she was interesting enough, especially with Leia. You know, anything with Leia and, and people outside the normal crew is is always great. Um, so I, I did love that. It makes sense why they put Leia at number one in there as well. Um, and it was cool to get some Star Wars. I think seventy seven there at the end. Um, it's amazing how long ago that was. Um, really quickly, so I've I've my thoughts about po- the Poe Dameron series have been wildly vacillating and people i follow online say it keeps getting better it starts rough i got through three volumes um i'm not giving up i just uh, i'd be curious your your feelings about a poe uh in comparison to some other stuff you've been reading i i really like it i i like seeing the the story of the black squadron and paul dameron it's nice to get more of that character than what we already had. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's nice because that, so far that has been basically the only content that we got in that air outside of the sequel trilogy film. Obviously, we got the Phasma novel. Obviously, we got Before the Awakening. But we really didn't see so much of the dynamic between the First Order mm-hmm. and the Resistance um outside of the poll comic so it was nice being able to get a glimpse into that universe and it has been a, a nice breeding ground of characters that are again juicy like I, I can't think of his name um but the main antagonist for like the first three oh, uh, oh yeah the the crime lord who became an imperial who became a crime lord yeah yeah it, it, he, he's interesting and even uh, the latter villains, and not only that, but uh, the, the great thing about that series is it, it kind of leads directly into The Force mm-hmm. Awakens, and there's a story about Poe after The Last Jedi mm-hmm. uh, that is being told that basically that was the first way we got material mm-hmm. uh, post The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I love the interactions between him and Black Squadron. It takes them a while to get their feet under them in terms of the the dialogue um, because there just wasn't that much to work off in the movies other than a couple attack scenes. And so, by like yeah, by like volume three, like the back and forth between the Black Squadron people is, is, is legitimately funny. Like made me laugh actually, like laugh out loud at a couple points. Um, so I give him credit for that. The bad guy is cool. It's sort of predictable ish, but he, he totally fits you know in the story in the galaxy. Um, I guess the thing that I don't understand again, which is just I, I this transfer of information, uh, connectivity, etc., which. I I'm just a sci-fi nerd, so I obsess over this stuff, is it's weird that the Resistance and the First Order are already both know that they're going to go at war with each other, but no one wants to fire the first shot until the First Order blows up an entire solar system in The Force Awakens. I, I think that's fascinating, and I could buy that scenario. I'm just not... I don't quite understand. This is like when I was originally trying to understand the politics of the prequels, which now I have a much better understanding of. I'm still have a, having trouble um, putting together the politics of, of this time, other than you know uh, the book I always praise and I love, and I'm listening to uh, Bloodline by um, Claudia Gray about Leia. Go ahead. Okay, so basically the state of the galaxy right now at that point in time is the first, the first order has signed a treaty with the New Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they can't do anything that could be taken as hostile for war. Otherwise, you know, they would have to go, they, they would go to war. So that is why the New Republic doesn't want anything to do uh, with the First Order because they don't want to go to war because the New Republic is a pacified state. They are the militarized state. So they, they couldn't handle going to war. They just want to sign away, you know, hey, peace. Uh, and the Resistance is a backwatered, funded, 
military organization by the new republic that has that has to have no ties to the new so the resistance has to be very careful um because they don't want to lead they don't want they don't want to go to war yeah, by the way, I mean, Leia is so ahead of the curve this time around. The fact that she realizes I'm going to have to go through this again with another Empire-type scenario, but this time she gets the Resistance going a couple of years before the main conflict starts, as opposed to the Rebellion, which takes, you know, 20 years or so to get moving at all, um, is like the one thing the Resistance has going for them. I guess what I was asking was, the First Order was clearly going to act like the Empire, and the Resistance was calling itself the Resistance. It's weird that they, like, have don't engage order. Um, but that's how, that's how armies work sometimes. So yeah, it's it's, it's, two, it's two different things. Like the, the empire was the governing uh, form of government. You know, they ruled the galaxy. They were in charge. They it was, it was their galaxy. The first order is coming in from the outside. If anything, the first order is I wouldn't even say it's more of a rebellion. Um, it, it's a different dynamic because the, the first order is coming in from the galaxy as an outside invading force and taking charge of the galaxy and the resistance is formed to try to resist that you know the resistance is aware that hey the first order is a threat and we need to stop the threat otherwise they will our, our, our government will fall so it's a very different dynamic no i understand why the first order is resisting engaging the resistance because they're waiting to do the big push with Starkiller Base. But it's not clear why, if you're specifically forming resistance, and as you say, they acknowledge and they know, Leia and this minority of people acknowledge that First Order is a ginormous threat. Like, why aren't you attacking? Like, if you're waiting each other out, historically, the arms race goes to the richer and more powerful entity, which is First Order. So the longer the resistance waits, the, the bigger problem they have. I'm sorry, go ahead. Because it would be seen as an act of war if the resistance attacks the First Order in the open, that could be seen and used as an excuse to violate the treaty that the First Order has with the New Republic. And the resistance, while they want to resist the First Order, they don't want the First Order attacking the New Republic uh, because of their actions doing war. Obviously, the First Order does this in Episode 7 when they blow up the system, uh, for no, when they weren't even provoked. Um, but but they don't they don't want to incite war. Yeah, but that's exactly like all the European nations not wanting to start war with the Nazis as they slowly expanded through Europe, and that's kind of the point. Is exactly if you are the resistance, you should be attacking now because they like if you think that they're a definitive threat then you can't say, well, we don't want to start it because then they'll f- attack the Republic. Like, you're starting the resistance because you know that they're going to attack the Republic one way or the other. They know about Starkiller Base, so they should be attacking immediately. But that's that's not how people operate. People don't operate until the bad guys start and then the good guys respond or don't respond. So it's just interesting, yeah. Well, not only that, but the resistance is so small as a mater- military organization. Yes. They, they, they can't fight a war war i mean we we don't see it on screen but we know that the first order order is humongous at the time as the last jedi they're attacking other places in the galaxy mm-hmm. so while they are resistant and they are trying to fight against the first order mm-hmm. they are so small that they can't handle a all-out like war they're, they're trying to prove to the new republic hey we need to confront this because if we don't, they're going to take over. And unfortunately, the New Republic doesn't pay attention until mm-hmm. it's too late. 
Absolutely. And, and I think they set that up, that scenario beautifully in a bloodline. I, I had forgotten this at the end. They set up not only how a senator, even though she's Leia, but still a senator, could get her hands on a decent amount of weaponry in a short amount of time, but it also shows the gap that already existed between her new movement and the First Order even though they didn't know how big... I mean, the idea is they, they don't realize how big the gap is. And until the end of The Last Jedi, you're like, wow, the Resistance literally has nothing. And I'm not going to bring up any of the rumors about, uh, about Episode Nine, but let's just say um, the, uh, the fact that no one responded to Leia's call for help at the end of The Last Jedi does not have to do with Leia. It has to do with lack of sympathy, it seems, for the Resistance, at least how it's going to start. Oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, what, what you're saying right now makes so much sense because in the last issue of the Poe Dameron uh, series, we actually see that. And it, you, you, it, it's all clicking together. Oh my God. And Battlefront 2, by the way. Which, which, um... Can I talk the latest issue of Poe? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'll get okay. around to it eventually, but go ahead. Okay, so in the latest... I thought you were going to yell at me. I was so scared there for a second. You no, clapped. No, no, no. I was like, oh, shit. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> no, 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 Woo! no. It, it, it's all coming together because when you talk about the rumors for episode nine and the lack of sympathy, it makes sense because we see that in the Poe Dameron arc right now because right now the story is being taken place post The Last Jedi slash during The Last Jedi and snap rectally. And the Black Squadron is looking for allies. And they touch down to this one planet. And they try to get assistance. And the guy basically at the end said, We, we want nothing to do with her. Run away from her. Um, run away from Leia and her Doom Crusade. So it, it's all making sense. And it's all coming together. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, we uh, we accomplished a lot here. I think we got the discussion going. I mean, we covered Afro Invader, which again, Jay Geek Girl, you know, I did read a bunch of stuff not Afro Invader. That was probably half of what I read or something. Uh, but it was definitely the most memorable to me, and I, I've already reread some of them because I wanted to be on point uh, for this. I love the Citadel one. That's a great crossover. Um, but um, that's just my kind of sci-fi for sure, and, and the characters. So, um, but yeah, well, you know, I I, I will be honest, guys. I, you know, I've told I've told JGG this that I, I I like to hoard comics, and then I won't read them for a while, and then I'll binge, and then I won't read them for a while, and I'll hoard some more. So I'm always behind the stuff I have. I, I got through most of what I wanted to read for uh, this one, um, but I, I think I'll probably start following Afro. I wish it wasn't so expensive. I, I don't know. We'll have to see because there's a lot of other stuff. As I mentioned, Image Comics and other indies I like to read as well. Some Marvel stuff. Catch up on. Um, but Jenny Geek Girl, um, and then I'm, I'm going to do the, the, the sort of tease for next week, and then you'll get final thoughts. But um, before that, anything you wanted to say about the comics just in general? I just want to say that there is so much that we could talk about when it comes to comics. I know that we originally were going to focus on the villain comics in this episode, but there was so much to talk about in the Star Wars comics universe in general that we we had to touch upon it because it expands the universe so much that if you aren't reading the comics, I, I would recommend you at least, you know, catch the tidbits of it because... There's just so much, and there's so much to talk about. I mean, we talked about the Poe Dameron and the connections to uh, Episode Nine, and obviously, you know, the Star Wars series, and it's just 
there's just so much to dive into that I, I think that we will be talking about this uh, later uh, because there's just so much to talk about. Absolutely. And uh, so, guys, I'm just going to tease what we're talking about next week, and then we'll drop uh, websites and so forth where you can find all of this goodness. Um, I will say, Jay Geek Girl, this again is the Heisenberg uncertainty principle when it comes to me and Star Wars because I would never be able to get, e- even if you gave me 20 of the best. Uh, Mar- uh, Marvel Universe comic book um, graphic novels or trade paperbacks from the last, say, 10 or 15 years. And I have a good amount of them when it comes to the X-Men and some of the Avengers. I would not be able to binge 3,000 pages of Marvel that quickly. There's no way. But my perception that the Star Wars looks and in some ways sounds better or at least more consistently, again, with the uncertainty principle, I don't know if that's truth or it's just because of my predilection towards Star Wars and I just have a much bigger appetite for Star Wars stuff um, and that, that leads to comics. So, I, you know, I'm trying to be self-aware. I'm not really sure which one it is. Maybe a bit of both. I, all I have to say is, uh, to me, it doesn't matter because you're eating Star Wars, and I love that you're eating Star Wars, and I am so glad that you're enjoying the ride, and I hope that you continue the ride because there's so much there that's so juicy. Uh, I, I don't know, I, because selfishly, I'm just glad that you're eating Clamor Comics. Yeah, I mean... You know, we started with the thing I love, Rogue One. Now, episode five, comics, for at least for part one. We'll definitely revisit this. I do want to point out, by the way, that of our first five lore casts, three have been heavily centered on, uh, uh, I guess, sexy Rogue One. We did the whole crew. I was going to say Jen, uh, but Ahsoka had one, and Afro was, was the star today. Um, not a coincidence. We definitely, Jagiga, will have to explore the, the, the ways in which, even though she's so different from Ahsoka in her priorities, and morals that there's no doubt that vader putting up with um afra and seemingly even liking her to the extent vader can like someone uh is very much mirroring anakin not only putting up with snips but loving her right so exactly yes and speaking of which guys next week we are doing a clone wars we're gonna have to have a mini series within the lore cast series to talk clone wars um really quickly jedi geek girl um I, we're both not feeling great guys jedi geek girls under the weather as well so we'll, we'll, we're gonna wrap this up and thank you jay G- geek girl thank you Bizzlecast and Lorecast listeners i would do the websites really quick though jedi geek girl i'm thinking we break up the clone wars into arcs but maybe we need to do like a general clone wars first in addition to the news which we haven't really addressed i think in the next episode we should not only talk about the news but general clone wars like what do we like about the clone wars what are some of our favorite arcs what are some of our favorite characters just basically like a general thing and then afterwards as we can as the episodes go on i think we can sprinkle in commentaries and perhaps more in-depth uh, conversation yeah i mean here's an idea guys live on the air i actually that made me think yeah what if we I mean, if we can schedule which Clone Wars uh, arcs we'll be talking about in advance, we could also do the commentary for it and like release it if people wanted that bonus content. That's a great idea. Um, but yeah, for this first one, we'll just we'll go over a lot of stuff. Um, just to tease it, guys, I will say, Jay Geek Girl, again, between comics and... and uh, I've been going through the Clone Wars last month or, or two, but... You know, obviously, Mortis and then the, all the season five arcs really stand out. There's great stuff in one, two, and four, but for me, three and five are the standout Clone Wars seasons. Um, uh, but although they have their weaknesses and the other seasons have their strains, I will say Mortis continues to be weird to me. You know, uh, I am not sure what's going on, so that might be a place to start um, a few weeks down the road. 
Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I think that would be a good start, but, we'll, you know, one thing at a time, one episode at a time. I mean, you know, uh, it's good that we're having this discussion now because now we, we should and have to think of everything through the lens of the fact that it's coming back. So, um, all right, guys. Well, join us next week for Clone Wars, uh, discussion of various sorts. Um, uh, Jedi Geek Girl. Well, let me, I'm just going to give my stuff real quick. You know where to find me, guys. Bizzlecast on Facebook, uh, Bizzle81 on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Also, obviously, Star, Star Wars Lorecast on Facebook, at Star Wars Lorecast on Twitter, SWLorecast.com takes you to all the podcasts. Uh, Jedi Geek Girl, uh, you go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. I have been one half of your host, Jedi Geek Girl. My other half has, of course, been the Bizzle. You can find us anywhere by searching SW Lorecast or by searching the Star Wars Lorecast via any podcast feed. You can find me anywhere by searching Jedi Geek Girl. And you can find my podcast anywhere by searching Ivy Bell hyphen a Star Wars Destiny podcast. You can find Bizzle at Bizzlecast anywhere and that you can find podcasts and and until next time thank you so thank you thank you thank you so much for tuning in and until next time i have been jedi geek girl he has been bizzle and until next time we are out <laughs>